It's This Week in Sleaze with your hosts, the great lord Joshua Regal and Sleazy K. This podcast has been rated Category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. Let's talk some Japanese fucking! Yes, I'm gonna use that until someone tells me to stop. And when they tell me to stop, I'm gonna do it for a bit longer. I'm gonna annoy the hell out of you. But uh, remember, I just said Japanese fucking. Wow, it's a stranger tinge to this episode. So, your great lord Joshua Rigo, you've essentially programmed this episode. Because the title wider theater can be used to screen any sleaze, essentially. Um, you know, this is the first experimentation in that regard. So, tell listeners what's, what's going on this episode and what the movies you picked are and by whom. <laughs> and, uh, and are you going to speak like that through the entire episode? <laughs> yes, yes. That of the Batman voice. It's one of the other... Yeah. Just because so. it's Japanese, so whenever, whenever you whenever you screen Japanese movies at home, okay. welcome to my home, everybody. Let's, <laughs> let's watch some fucking. Oh Welcome my god, he's, he's doing it again. <laughs> okay, today, uh, yeah, we're going back to the seventies into Japan, and we're gonna be. Okay, never mind. The seventies. I get what you're going with that. I got it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to um, two different uh, you know sides of like the Japanese genre spectrum, both dealing with sex, and uh, we're dealing with the terrifying girls' high school Lynch Law classroom by Norofumi Suzuki from 1973, and then we're going to Yasuhara Hasabe's Rape, Thirteenth Hour, from what year was that? Seventy-seven, seventy-eight, seven. Yes, seventy-seven. Judging by, the guys, uh, judging by the guys, um, uh, curly hair kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this is kind of, I, 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 I like this choice. I, I was never like hesitant to be experimental in that regard to pick uh, something else, something else random for Tiger White Theater. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that uh, we're just going to launch straight into review territory. I thought it's still a good uh, opportunity. To give listeners perspective and some background on uh, the genre and the players and what have you, and I'm certainly interested in it. So it's going, to, you know, despite us sitting in this very, very filthy, smelly screening room, Tidy Whitey Theater, it, we got to take it somewhat seriously. We've cleaned up just a little bit, I guess. Uh, so that is what we're going to be doing. And uh, this is Lizzie K, of course. And uh, you are listening to this weekend's Lizzie at the Podcast on Fire Network, the website. For this show and all the other shows, podcastonfire.com. If you want to send us some feedback, you can do that on the email, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. We still have our old message form up, although it's closed due to problems with spam. And the reason it's up is because Prime members still have, uh, we want them to still have access to the members-only archive of uh, cut conversations and whatever exclusive content we did back in the day. I might, you know, because the files are there uploaded, I might... Uh, try and bring them on the site in some shape or form to uh, uh because the form literally is not active anymore so 
but because there are some cool stuff in there not just uh, silly outtakes but the uh, rather extensive stuff uh, over there in the members only archive so we'll see what happens but when we do the new exclusive content nowadays it is posted on the website in the bonus episodes category and uh, we are probably next time you and i record we are going to do our first uh, bonus episode because we are finishing up the rape by an angel coverage soon so rape by an angel 5 will finally get uh, awaited by us no one else really looks forward to it <laughs> bonus boner episode on rape by an angel 5 the second one there were two one by billy tang one by dick lau and the one by dick lau is not subtitled so you and i are going to sit there and try and make up what the story was about <laughs> it, it had rape um and a five in the title and the guy's called dick um yeah thank you everybody <laughs> <laughs> so uh, on uh, facebook we are active and uh, that's where the main uh, discussion nowadays goes on you can click and like our page that is located at port uh, sorry facebook.com forward slash pof network on that page there is a link to the discussion group that you can also uh, reach by typing in podcast on fire network in the facebook search bar you just have to request to be added and you're essentially in so join the discussion there see network updates and uh, show progress and uh, just us um, having a having a good old time so posting funny pictures but not of each other not incriminating pictures of each other but funny pictures nonetheless and follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. I do writing of um, not Japanese movies, uh, unfortunately. I, I had to set a focus, like uh, you can't cover it all. So nowadays it's mostly Taiwan, mostly uh, IFT film, ninja exploitation, and the occasional cool category free movie that deserves to be highlighted. And uh, that is at sogoodreviews.com. I also do mini video reviews of my main reviews at sleazykvideo.com at the time of recording the newest review is of a Taiwan movie the Pearl Chung starring vehicle matching escort Pearl Chung of Wolf Devil Woman fame this is uh, one of the better ones uh, where, where her fantasy finally um, worked to, uh, to, to a great effect it wasn't as annoying anymore so it's one of those movies where she's developed and this is where it all kind of picked so check out matching escort also, also known as Venus the Ninja and uh, follow me on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash so good reviews. We are on iTunes and this weekend's list has its own feed nowadays. So follow the link to that feed in uh, the show post to this episode or search us on iTunes. Uh, Podcast on Fire Network will get you all the different feeds. We are splitting them up or search this weekend's list on iTunes. And if you uh, want to subscribe to us that way, that is the way to do it. If you like the show, please leave a rating and a comment. That would be very much appreciated. And uh, you can also stream us on Stitcher. Go to stitcher.com or rather look up the show post again because I have linked specifically to the This Week in Sleaze station on stitcher.com. But the application that um, you can get for your iPhone or iPad or Android is available. Um, uh, you, you can get the link via the website or go to your nearest app stores to download the free Stitcher radio app. And once you're in Stitcher on the app, type in podcast on fire network and you can add each show individually so thank you for your support via that service we uh, a good friend uh, king who uh, still does his uh, blogs and is active on uh, facebook and posting uh, 
blog-related stuff kind of on Facebook. Whenever he has a poster, he might put it up on the blog, might put it up on Facebook. But when he puts it up on the blog, it's the blog called Bullets Over Chinatown. It's on in the mood for guilo.blogspot.com. And guilo is spelled G-W-A-I-L-O. And there also the man who designed the intro you heard and the outro you hear at the end of the show is Brian Kirby and his I think he's done some at the time of recording done some new Mr. Vampire or Little Vampire type t-shirts at shelflifeclothing.com very cute like kid vampire types t-shirts I think he was kind of inspired by uh, by by the month we're in now which is Halloween month so so Paul Bryan is a great guy, been very kind to the show, shelflifeclothing.com. And they, it's uh, October right now, this is probably a November release, this show, but uh, you, you're still kind of mid-reviewing um, Halloween-related flicks mm-hmm. or horror-related flicks at your site. So tell us about your site and what's been going on. Yeah, over at Buried Cellulite, this is, uh, we're going on our 10th year at the website, but this is probably only like the 4th or 5th. Uh, Halloween spectacular, Halloween horrors, we like to call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just uh, trying to review as many movies in the, you know, in one month as possible. All the movies about, all the reviews about 1,000 words or something like that. And uh, so far, I'm up to. I've only done like about 21. <laughs> oh, we've <laughs> done about 21. <laughs> well, I mean, like, last year I think I got 31. Things last year we did. Uh, this time, this season. Are you sitting there slapping yourself? You're worthless. You're worthless, and cutting yourself just to feel something. <laughs> it's the school, man. It holds me back. I should drop out. So, <laughs> so it's like, uh, yeah, probably gonna end up with about 26, something like that. I think. Good, I mean, I have have a few of them, you know, already backlogged right this second. Just gotta get artwork together and everything. So. Uh, and the particular yeah. gems you discovered that you hadn't watched before that you discovered and like uh, you know, this was really great. I can't wait to get get this out on the website. Yeah, you know, I mean, I was really surprised with. I mean, I know not everybody's going to agree, but the like found footage horror movie Grave Encounters mm-hmm. that was, you know, which you know I told you about. I believe you've now yeah. seen. Yeah, that was alright. Yeah, <laughs> I liked it a little bit more than you probably did. I liked it probably more than most people did. Mm-hmm. But uh, I sat there, I watched it with uh, a cousin of mine. We sat there and we're just looking for something on Netflix. And just, uh, I don't even know why we popped it on, but we were like, eh, whatever, it sounds okay. So we turned it on. Genuinely a little spooky little movie. No, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, I didn't dislike it as such. It was one of those that didn't really stick with me, but it has some great mm-hmm. stuff. I, I particularly liked the essentially a satire about um uh, it's essentially a ghost hunting tv team that uh, traps mm-hmm. themselves into in this psychiatric uh, psychiatric hospital and you see like raw footage of them creating the show and uh and it's really like you know cheesy ghost hunter tv show with cool poses <laughs> and lines and it's really really scripted and that's easy satire easy target but as i said to you why shouldn't you take that right. shot yeah. Uh, because I only imagine if they'd have edited that found footage like it appears on TV, it would have been so much more annoying and loud and <laughs> sharp edits. And so I, I appreciated that part of the movie. It had some genuinely scary moments in it and freaky moments. Uh, I, I gotta ask you something. Do you think uh, this movie had a, an ending similar to Wreck? You know the the t- type of you know. <sighs> I just thought yeah. like uh, like Wreck has guess, a religious yeah. uh, religious uh, connection. All of the all of the um, happenings are based on a sort of religious religious thing, and I just thought like Grave Encounters kind of took some cues from Wreck. 
uh, when a re- big reveal happened at the end. I think when you sit there and you compare the two movies or whatever, I think that, yeah, there there's some similarities, and even the, just, like, the logistics of it. Okay, they find this room in each movie. They find a room. They venture into it, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they just, the movies kind of build very similarly in that fashion. Mm. But, um... Nothing I was annoyed about. It was just like, hey, this is sort of, yeah, wreck is the thing it reminds me of. But it was not like, that's right on the internet about how dissatisfied I am right now. It's, <laughs> you know, n- nothing like that. Uh, aside from that, um, I really liked, I think I've already mentioned it maybe on a past episode. I'm not sure I've talked about it with a few people with The Black Cat by Luigi Cosi. Uh, Italian horror movie. It's the movie kind of sucks. I won't, I won't lie. <laughs> I really liked it. Kind of <laughs> but yeah, I did like it. I thought that you know it actually it's kind of interesting because it deals with uh, the whole basis for the story is similar to uh, well it, it takes its like cues from the original short story that inspired Suspiria. Mm-hmm. Like it's uh, it was a story that really, you know, about some uh, three different mothers and stuff like that. You know, it, a lot of that stuff comes from it, but, like, what both filmmakers did is completely different than mm-hmm. what was in the original, you know, writing. So, like, uh, Cozy's film kind of, like, plays it up as if the original manuscript for that story or whatever was, like, uh, some kind of, like, haunted tale or whatever, and, like, some ghost will come out, yada, yada, yada. It, it's ridiculous because the you know original author wasn't even like you know some horror movie right not a horror movie horror writer or anything like that it's just like he happened to write this one little short story that a couple of people kind of got behind or whatever hmm. and it, it's ridiculous but at the same time i'm like oh well you know it's really you know interesting that they put this together this way hmm. and that that was fun yeah, short stories sometimes don't have a lot of content anyway, so movie mm-hmm. adaptations add upon it by 80%, you know, going into their own original directions, their, their newly written directions, so so you never know how how much connection there actually is uh, at the end of the day. So, yeah, never mind the crappy artwork for, like, the cover art on Netflix, you know, give it a spin if you like Italian art movies. The the cover, like, or whatever the cover art they have on Netflix is, is just like a clip from the movie, like a screenshot. Yeah, yeah I've seen and, that with Netflix sometimes. There, yeah. I've, I've even seen covers where it's a um, white background and just a text on it because they didn't have any cover. So they just yeah. wrote something, uploaded it. Uh, right. Uh, at the time of recording, V Cinema has uh, debuted this new format. The uh, John called it the pilot episode or the, or the new V Cinema, if you like. And uh, you're on that. So even though it's old news, obviously, even at the time of recording, want to briefly explain what the new V Cinema show uh, is about? John's just trying some different things. He's taking it in new directions, trying to become more of like a cultural podcast. You know, there's still a discussion of film and things like that, but it's just kind of a discussion of all things related to, you know, Asian culture. And uh, for, like, my segment that I was on the show, we basically just talked about uh, the game Sleeping Dogs, mm-hmm. you know, which has to do with Hong Kong nightlife. We talked about the way, you know, it is in reference to movies and things like that and just going over some stuff like that. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. a new, interesting direction. I enjoyed it. It, had, it, it was a two-hour show with... Uh, shorter segments you know four or five mm-hmm. different shorter segments that w- went by and uh, I, I like the show and i know i think coffin john is probably going to 
use the old structure at time as well where you mm-hmm. get together for a Skype call and do a round table and what have you so so th- this means that you now you've tried this now you can't do it as well you, right. you add so so it's not like I'm, 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 I may be speaking a lot for Coffin John but I have a feeling he wants to uh, have different structures to each individual mm-hmm. show almost you know go back to the old go back to the new try something new as well and, uh, and, and make it feel fresh that way yeah because sometimes uh, the structure calls for getting together and do, do doing a round table, you know, and, and, a mo- and, a, and a moderator in between, you know. Yeah, I know he's talked about uh, Stan, myself, and he, you know, all three of us getting together and uh, doing a movie review and stuff like that. That's not going by the wayside, I don't mm-hmm. believe. But, you know, it's just a new way of doing things, just a little bit of experimentation. And, yeah, I think it's coming around very nicely. It's something he's wanted to do for a while, you know. John really, you know, wants to kind of spread out and cover as much as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants V Cinema to be about you know, a lot of different things. And it's really good, cool. man. I enjoyed the episode quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, uh, be, be, because it wasn't one topic for two hours. That you kind of have right. to be be an active listener while you know mm-hmm. while listening. Obviously, this had different segments, and it kind of. Uh, I was always into the episode whenever I returned to it during my like. Uh, I listened to it during a two day span, if you will. So mm-hmm. I was always into the episode rather than. Um, uh, and and the prior episodes. I'm not saying they were difficult to get grasp yeah. or anything, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's all good. I really enjoyed it. So so good on you, and uh, good on you, the whole team for for creating that. Yeah. And uh, even the dumb guy is a part of that team. You know, you said you're the dumb guy, so that, that's I I'm, qu- I'm quoting you. So even the dumb guy <laughs> is still there. You know, can I still be on? <laughs> Hello, we talk about video games, huh? <laughs> Oh my god, that, that would not be offensive at all. <laughs> what? Is, is that that's how you what, talk in your neighborhood? That's how yeah. I talk. <laughs> this is my show voice, this is my regular voice when I'm at school and stuff. Exactly. <laughs> what are you talking about with all these atoms and things? It's like the hillbilly in The Simpsons. Exactly. You know? <laughs> Cletus. Yeah, exactly. Because in that town, they have a, you know, a, it's a fairly small town that still have mm-hmm. essentially, you know, red encounter in there. Yeah, what the hell is he doing there? It's like Ohio, isn't it? Or something. <laughs> it's the same with what? South Park, you know, they, they have actually an actual uh, railroad line, you know, uh, between, you know, between one, between two houses. And across the railroad line is Kenny's house, the poor, the poor house, you know, the poor neighborhood. Uh, anyway. We're taking a short musical break. There's plenty of music to choose from from uh, the first movie we're covering. So I'm going to find some groovy tunes. And I think uh, there's only groovy tunes in uh, in uh, the first movie. It's not um, There's no scary music, and there shouldn't be. It's just uh, groovy times, man. A terrifying girls' high school lynch law classroom. <laughs> Welcome back, and first of all, we are going to do the plot, or I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to let Joshua take over and uh, inform me and inform you, hopefully, of uh, the background, the toy and pinky violence genre, and some actors and some um, 
some uh, and the director in this case. So, first of all, plot for terrifying girls, high school, Lynch Law classroom. At the School of Hope, an, or an all-girl home for juvenile delinquents, a young girl named Michiko is found dead from a dive off the top of the school. Although the principals who are, are, are in tight with the police department have the incident written out as an accident, the reality is the disciplinary committee were behind it. This disciplinary committee is made up of a group of students put in charge of handling anyone who steps out of line, given free reign by the psychotic vice principal. Of course, he's psychotic course. as well. It's <laughs> not just corrupt, he's psychotic. <laughs> However, three new arrivals at the school are about to shake things up forever. Noriko, played brilliantly by Miki Sugimoto, well known for her juvenile delinquent flicks, as Joshua will tell us. She takes on a leadership role among the girls. Her background as the leader of one of the most powerful girl gangs in Japan follows her, and she is in search of the truth behind Michiko's, her former right hand, death. Razorblade Rimi Kitano is a young woman, most noticeable for her appearance as she wears a cowboy hat. I always love that, you know, you know who the characters are, you know, distinct yeah. clothing, you know. Uh, she wears a cowboy hat, boots, and carries a razor blade with her at all times, you know, hence razor blade. Mm -hmm. uh, Koyoko Kubo uses her sexuality to get what she wants with either men or women. And these three girls, along with the help of a nosy reporter looking to find a lead on the young woman killed at school, are in search of the truth behind this awful school and won't stop until the school of hope is split wide open. <laughs> <laughs> and the devil comes out! Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Halloween. <laughs> It, it, it sounds like a good uh, good lead-in into School of the Holy Beast, therefore. Yeah. <laughs> Which is an actual movie, that lead-in is not an actual thing. But I'm going to shut up now. Joshua, take it away with some background on Toei and Pinky Violence and the actors and directors and what have you. So go ahead. Okay. Well, you know, I, I think I'll just sit there and like kind of do some differentiation. Because when you go back to the 70s and like Japanese genre film, especially like the, the pink... Uh, film Umbrella. When you go back to all that, there's a lot of you know little differentiations that can be made, and a lot of people tend to get confused upon those things. I know, like uh, the oily maniac, you know Jay, he's a friend of ours. I know he has kind of a pet peeve, and so do I. Whenever we sit there and see somebody calling like uh, a pinky violence film, calling it a pinku or whatever, you know, just like there's these different you know variations or a roman porno film a pinky violence film or just any variation of that it can kind of get annoying so well admittedly it sounds hard but are you talking about examples where people are they don't want to be educated either it's just like i'm right no i'm right no it's just it's there's so little it seems to be like information out there i mean you kind of have to do research on this stuff in order to sit there and kind of be able to sit there and pick out the movies but at the same time you know i don't usually get that upset about it because hell i have a hard time with it myself because a lot of this stuff is really convoluted and you know you sit there and you try to pick out you know well what makes this movie a pinky violence movie what makes this movie a roman porno movie and what mm -hmm. makes this movie a uh, violent pink and what makes this pinku you know there's these different little variations and stuff and you got to take all this into account and there's no set rule set really the, but basically you know it all goes back to like the 60s when basically these independent filmmakers started coming out with these uh, sex movies and uh they were basically just they were called through a critic i forget the, the you know guy's name but basically he referred to the films as like a pinku 
you know, referring to Flesh, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, from there, it kind of got its name, and then it started becoming more popular. And at the time, like during the 60s, you know, none of the big studios wanted to have anything to do with it, all these sex movies. And most of the sex movies, the difference between, like, you know, some American films versus, like, Japanese films is there. And some of the pink films kind of got really, you know, artsy, really artistic. You know, there's movies like, I guess you could say, you know, Go Go Second Time Virgin and, like, Blind Beast and which is kind of like a darker thing there. But, you know, these movies are all, you know, very, you know, artistic while at the same time, you know, you're getting flesh or you're getting weird ideas and things like that, you know, just they push too artistic, the uh, Too artistic for your personal taste? No, no, I, I think they do it in enough, an interesting way. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not like... Uh, so overbearing, you know, like recently Koji Wakamatsu died and uh, that was just a few days ago or so, maybe last week and he was the filmmaker behind like Goko's Second Time Virgin, mm-hmm. but like if you watch like interviews with that guy and stuff like that, you know, he, I'm sure at one time he was a young, you know, kind of pretentious little kid or whatever when he's making these movies, but at the same time he was just a, a character, you know, really mm-hmm. an out there kind of guy and uh, his movies reflected that. And, like, that's, that was the case with a lot of these movies. It seemed to be just there's a lot of character behind the camera. And uh, you didn't get the idea that, you know, the filmmakers were just preaching at you or trying mm-hmm. to, you know, purposefully do that. I mean, you do occasionally run into that, you know, mind you. But it's not all the time. And they had these movies back in the 60s. And then finally, you know, TV started making an impact and... And, you know, so were these sex movies, and eventually the big studios had to kind of step up to the plate as well. And so they're like, they see, you know, these young independents sitting there making money, so they throw their hat into the ring. Hmm. And that's where you have Nikatsu comes along, and they start up their Roman porno line. And at the same time, you have uh, Toei, who creates, you know, these several different lines that basically make up uh, the Pinky Violence line. So you've got these two different uh, studios, and they're both doing very different things. You know, Toei, they kind of go, you know, I mean, if you're going to classify the pinky violence genre, I guess you kind of look at it and say a lot of these movies were, especially like the movies from, like, uh, Norfolk Suzuki, who we're talking about with this film. A lot of them are very, like, youth-oriented. A lot of them have a lot of fashion, you know, kind of like upbeat tempos. Action is kind of like the... Pressing and, thing, and and can end on a pratfall as well. <laughs> yes, yeah, for real. <laughs> After all is said and done, little Benny Hill at the end there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that, that's kind of you know I think what defines them. And then Roman porno. Roman porno is kind of like one of those gray areas where you know it's Toei, it's a sex movie, and like you know Roman porno basically stands for romantic porno. At you know. something that young Ken last year <laughs> didn't know, because young Ken thought like Roman porn, awesome sword and sandal porno movies in Japan. <laughs> but after a while, someone I think said on some show, romantic. Oh, <laughs> and actually... it kind of was not as funny as anymore. I, but but I, I don't think I've seen a Roman porno movie. I just think uh, I, I just see in front of me like maybe well-told dramas with a whole lot of sex, you know, for adults only. Well, you know, I've talked about a few of them, like, recently, um, 
over here, like, Synapse is releasing all these Roman, this Roman porno collection, and, like, you know, I think, which, you know, I'm not entirely, I haven't really delved that heavily into it, but, like, I think the earlier part of the Roman porno collection or whatever is probably a bit more towards that romantic couples thing, Mm -hmm. but it seems as the 70s moved along, you know, it's as if Nukatsu just, you know, (laughs) were just anything to get butts in seats, so it's like the, the movies became more outlandish and more, you know... And therefore butts on screen. Yes, <laughs> more butts on screen, more... In the entire widescreen frame as well. <laughs> more just general, like, out there, sex, anything, like, sexual that they could get away with, like, you know, lots of golden showers, whatever, you what? know, having, having sex with a pig, let's do it. What's <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, Eero School feels so good. I mean, there's, yeah, Sex with Peg in that movie. Anyway, uh, yeah, like, so you have that, and then the pinky violent genre, which is kind of where my love, I guess, lays. I'm down with, I guess, anything 70s Japanese under the pink umbrella. But, yeah, the pinky violent genre, it's all flash, all, like, just an atmosphere of fun, even when, like, most of the time when, like, women are being held in bondage or what have you, you know, which are usually a scene in most of these movies where somebody's tied up with rope in their boobs or held Hmm. together with the rope or whatever, and it's a nice visual or what have you. But, you know, even in those scenes, you know that at some point somebody's going to get rescued or what have you, or there's going to be someone standing up to the man. There's a lot of defiance, Hmm. a lot of uh, women breaking out of their, you know, quote-unquote roles and, like, doing their own thing and that's kind of what i love about the genre and yeah. but maybe not overbearing as such uh you know it's it's kind of there if you want to take it you know <laughs> take away that theme because uh, I, I i don't think there necessarily necessarily are 20 movies out there that have the same you know plot about you know, breaking free standing up to the math because that that, that would have been like um uh repetition you know boring repetition so it sounds like it's themes that it's, there it's are there of- it's kind of like the black exploitation genre where you know you have these women or whatever and you know it the central point of it is not that oh they're rebellious and standing up against the man mm-hmm. it's that you know that's just what their characters do yeah. you know they don't they don't make a point and say hey fuck you I'm standing up to the man I'm going to you know I'm going to wear blue jeans today and I'm going to get a job you know it's not like stuff like that yeah. it's like you know that's just what they do you know, that's their characters that, you know, this is a new age, you know, and get used to it, kind of. Mm-hmm. And, and you can see that in, you know, Terrifying Girls High School uh, Lynch Law Classroom. Boy, that is a mouthful. But yeah, you can I, see I finally that. learned this because I, now I've expo- I'm exposed to it a little bit. But it sounded like, like, is he ever going to stop telling me that one <laughs> title? It just keeps going and going and going. You know? It's like the uh, Giallo or something, just like, ugh, long <laughs> titles, man. Mm. Because, like, Terrifying Girls High School is the series, and then Lynch Law Classroom is the this entry or what have you. Yeah. Yeah, which basically I should mention that, you know, this is the second film in a – how many films are there? I think there are four – let me count. Yeah, I think there's four different movies within the series, and two of them were directed by uh, Nora Fuma Suzuki. And, uh, yeah, just similar to – you know, other film series and stuff like that within, you know, this market, like Girl Boss series or um, I can't remember, the Reiko Ishida uh, series and stuff like that. They're basically movies that 
all are they're kind of similar, but they aren't entirely tied together by characters that you know tell one expansive story. It's just all you know kind of under the same umbrella of mm-hmm. a name. Yeah. The thing about this movie is that it is a starring venture between Reiko Ike and Miki Sukamoto, and these two like another they're another big integral part of like the Pinky Violent genre. Both uh, actresses kind of came together around the same time. And the two of them, they ended up starring in a lot of different movies together. You know, there's like, uh, I think I counted, which I could be wrong, you know, somebody else out there, if if you get a better list together, let me know. But I counted about nine films, Mm -hmm. and uh, I believe about eight of them were directed by Norofumi Suzuki. And uh, so, yeah, they they were making movies, you know, outside of uh, the films they made together, but... When you put the two of them together, I don't know, it was just something special. They're, they're two very different actresses, and some for some reason they played well together. Reiko Ike, she's probably, yeah, she's probably my favorite, I think, of all the different actresses within the Pinky Violet genre. And, uh, yeah, she's kind of just different, I think, than what you kind of identify as, like, Japanese beauty which would be like probably some little skinny girl, a little twig or something like that, and just mm-hmm. perfect, you know, cheekbones and what have you. But she doesn't really look like that. She's kind of has a little bit of a pudgy face. You know, she's a, a thicker woman. I'm not saying that she's heavy or anything like that, but she's a thicker lady, and she's got large bazooms. And, uh, yeah, she's... Uh, and she's also a really talented actress and probably one of the better ones right up there with uh, Meiko Kaji or, um, yeah, probably right up there with Meiko Kaji. She, mm-hmm. she was the actress that probably could have done the most, but uh, she kind of was surrounded by controversy even at the start of her career when she started off uh, in her first film. Supposedly it came out later that she was actually 16 during the shooting of the movie. Ooh, wow. yeah. a, little of, a little bit of Tracy Lords. Uh, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. And uh, that was, uh, it was one of the um, Hot Springs Geisha movies, I believe, was one of her, her first titles. Mm-hmm. Could be wrong, but I believe it was. And uh, yeah, so she was 16 during that, and you know, and then later in her career... Did you say that she actually told the press that she was 16 and actually, uh, you yes. know, mouthed off herself, you know, whoops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was probably uh, wrong, because supposedly I think she sat there and told them that she was 18, but yeah, and then turned around and I guess probably ended up, not probably purposeful, but probably during an interview or what have you, mm. maybe gave her, uh, you know, how old she actually was. Mm gave it out to them, and yeah, that ended up... Which, I mean, you look at Reiko Ike, and uh, if she was, like, 16 back then, that would make her, like, 19 or 20 or something during this movie, maybe 21 or 2. Looked older. Right, she does. She even, you know, at this age, she looks like she's probably 30, you know? Well, I won't say that, but at least five years, uh, five five years plus from, you know, 20 years old, uh, I would say, like, uh, not a girl by by any stretch of imagination. You know, she looks like a woman. Right, full grown, and uh, that that was her thing. And then later in her career, well, as you know, her career came to an end. She had some you know problems with the illegal gambling, and uh, they say you know in a drug offense, I believe too. And I think she was kind of blacklisted, you know, which is a thing that seems like it's kind of like kind of happens in Japanese uh, 
the film circles and what have you. Like you look at what happened with Toshiaki Toyota in recent years after he made Hanging Garden, he was busted with like uh, I don't know how much, but I think it was just like some kind of like uh, uppers or whatever. He had some pills, maybe you know something like that. I think it might even be methamphetamine, but I don't know. He he was busted and uh, he had trouble for years, you know, he was making, like, music videos and stuff like that, I think, and he's recently kind of come around, he's made a couple of films since then, but there was a time where he just kind of, his momentum was completely derailed after just that, you know, drug offense. We're over here, you know, in the States or whatever, you know, Charlie Sheen's fucking insane, and then, like, they give him a million dollars, whatever. Yeah, and that only turned his career around, you know, uh, um, you know in, in oh, a good yeah. way, uh, you know, there there seems to be little tolerance over in right. Japan, and, uh, okay, it was not, like, a month after Downey came out of prison, uh, in the, mm-hmm. back in the 90s, uh, they gave him Iron Man or whatever, and he had right. to work to get his ass back to, you know, star status or whatever, yeah. but, uh, but uh, it's not like he um, disappeared forever. But, yeah, I mean, Lindsay Lohan's still getting work, you know? <laughs> It's like, and she's, you know, people like that are actually dangerous, you know, to themselves and other people when they sit there and go out and somebody gives them car keys, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, aside from the movies that uh, Reiko Ike made with uh, Mika Sugimoto, she also did, like, Sex and Fury. Well, actually, Girl Boss Gorilla was kind of, it's kind of a famous title that she's in with Mika Sugimoto. And then, like, uh, she even was in New Battles Without Honor and Humanity under Fukusaku, so... Mm. Yeah, she she kind of had a decent little career going for, you know, up until like the end of the seventies when all that sadness happened. Would you say Six and Fury is the one that people are, uh, need to seek out uh, first of all, or would you recommend something else before that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of one of the more popular movies, I guess, in the West. But uh, for my personal taste, it's never been like a, a total favorite. It's got a lot of boobs, you know, <laughs> that's cool, but. You know, the, I don't know, just for some reason that story never really jumped out at me. Uh, aside, you know, I would probably recommend Girl Boss Gorilla over that, you know. And then you get Miki Sugimoto as well. I think that movie is kind of, like, great for both of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not really it's not really over, you know, an overabundance of sleaze in that movie. But, you know, it is damn fun. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I remember Sex and Fury. Uh, I found it uneven. Ha- has some classic imagery, violent imagery. Mm-hmm. Isn't it a slow motion? Like she's attacked there uh, while she's in the bath and therefore fights nude uh, right. in slow motion uh, with a sword, and uh, and she's essentially crucified at the end of the film or towards the end of the film. And uh, yeah, it has some good stuff, but I was not very, very on board with that one. Yeah, it's it's not a favorite of mine, really. Yeah, so moving on to Miki Sugimoto. She's the other half of this duo. And uh, Sugimoto, uh, you know, I think we we talked about her on V-Cinema when we covered Zero Woman Red Handcuffs, which would be, like, if I were going to reference any movie with Miki Sugimoto, that's going to probably be the the big one, I guess. She was in the first Zero Woman Red Handcuffs, you know, live-action movie, which... You know, I'm not a big fan of, and we didn't really give it a very positive review on the show. But uh, we talked about her a bit, and, you know, she kind of, I think, when we did talk about her, kind of painted her as, like, a lesser actress. But, you know, she may not have the versatility of, like, Meiko Kashi or something like that, or even Reiko Ike. But what she does, she does very well. And she is an absolutely gorgeous young woman in these movies, you know. And, uh yeah, I don't, you know, like to glance over her because some of her movies really, you know, 
they touch me, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> if you feel what I'm talking about here, brother. Show, and, uh, show, show, show us where the movie touched you. <laughs> show us. <laughs> but so, this is yeah. a good memory. <laughs> yes, yes. She's a, yeah, she's, she's a talented actress, and she does deliver it. You know, I don't remember where I heard it. It could have even been Chris D's like commentary for uh, Lynch Law Classroom. I can't remember, but I had heard she was kind of like uh, maybe not a delinquent, but kind of a tough girl before she went into like modeling and acting. But uh, that could be just BS. My you know mind has made up over the years. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but uh, as it is, Sugimoto, she uh, kind of left the you know acting world as well, but she kind of went under better circumstances and. To this day, I think she's married and she, you know, maybe had kids and she's a nursery school teacher, supposedly. You know, last you I was able to check. Well, you got Norfumi Suzuki. I guess I could talk a little bit about him as well. And he is like, for me, I mean, if you're going to talk about a 70s exploitation Japanese film director, you're probably going to talk about Norfumi Suzuki. He's just, you know, he's got such a you know, legendary catalog of films. You know, you mentioned School of the Holy Beast earlier, and that's an absolutely you know, it's amazing film. And like I said, like eight out of nine films that featured Reiko Ike and uh, Miki Sugimoto together. And and the and the that as well. Those two. Are, are yeah, they yeah, as well? all, yeah, the all the, the trio of them. <laughs> right Sugimoto, Ike, and then uh, Suzuki. You know, all three of them doing what they do. And, you know, also he made, like, uh, the Girl Bloss Blues series, Red Pink Gambler, uh, Gambler's Obligation. A lot of movies, you know, did a whole lot. Really, you know, flashy, really, like, vibrant colors, you know, fun movies. He also would bring in a lot of content, too, you know. Like, you look at School of the Holy Beast, which is, you know, a um, Japanese non-sploitation movie, you know, one of the few of its kind out there and you know it's actually you know as much as it is about you know lesbian nuns whipping each other with roses and stuff like that as much as it yeah like the uh, (laughs) touch a rose at the end of a whip take that (laughs) (laughs) the thorns and what have you as much as it is about all that stuff it's also like a, a look at religion and you know things like that and it's it's some pretty smart stuff so yeah, yeah, I welcome that challenge of um, being very adults, uh, adults mm-hmm. only in terms of sexual content and even uh, having a mature type of thinking. You know, uh, right. it could, could go either way, obviously, uh, like like anything can do. So I don't, you know, rule it out beforehand that it can't fit next to the boobs. Uh, yes. On the contrary, <laughs> I've, I've seen tons of movies that definitely have something more to say, even in Hong Kong. Yeah, I think we'll get into that, especially with like Rape the 13th Hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the movie, the movie, yes, indeed. Uh, okay, my my first like brief opinion of this. Uh, not a whole lot of notes. Are, I gotta tell you that, but uh, it's good, um, heinous, eye popping fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I dig. You know, coming from you know, I'm such. I'm I'm I only essentially spend time with Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies uh, due to that's what I work with although I'm not paid to do it obviously but I, I do work with it a whole lot more so I, I don't have time to do anything everything and watch everything but oh, my point is I dig the different feel to exploitation that I find in Japanese movies versus Hong Kong movies uh, 
you know, Hong Kong could make good-looking exploitation. I'm not saying that. You know, Shaw Brothers yeah. being a perfectly good example, but it's still a different feeling here, a different style. It's um, in the case of this movie, it's a, there's a vibrancy here that I'm definitely not used to uh, from uh, uh, from Hong Kong. When I think class exploitation in Hong Kong, I think period movies. Uh, you know, Intimate Confessions of a Chinese Courtesan always pops up. So there you go, a completely different feeling. But I, I, I really thought this was fun. It's uh, it's violent and bloody and uh, uh, shocking even but it's a whole lot of fun if it's saying something i don't really care <laughs> yeah, because, because it, it, it does you know i'm gonna spoil one thing it ends on essentially a pratfall yeah. and, and that kind of sums it up you know I, I i see where you're coming from filmmakers you 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 were kind of having fun and uh and translated that well yeah so uh, that's my first note for 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 the time being, I, I know you don't hate the movie, so go ahead and tell you t- t- tell us briefly what you uh, what you think of this movie. Is this like a fifth or sixth viewing by now? Uh, yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> uh, yeah, when it come time to pick these movies, you know, we're gonna do Japanese films and everything. And I was, I went back and I was like thinking of movies to go with, and like. I, I like, know well, Sleazy K is a fucking messed up guy, so what can I pick? <laughs> exactly. Like, I needed to bring the sleaze, but I also wanted to bring something that, you know, kind of uh, has, you know, familiarities with, like, all the important aspects of, like, the pinky violence genre mm-hmm. and everything like that. And I knew I would like to have done, like, Reiko Ike and Miki Sugimoto, but it just came time to pick the right movie, and... I thought that, you know, Lynch Law Classroom kind of fits the right criteria. You know, you've got Norfumi Suzuki, you've got Reiko Ike, Miki Sugimoto, and then you've got, you know, women, you know, draining blood out of other girls for torture. You've got bladder torture where a girl has to, like, not pee over the course of however many hours of mm-hmm. drinking water and what have you. Just fetishistic, crazy stuff like that. Right. And then... And a certain amount of humor, like, oh my god, the, you know, the elderly guy being raped by four or five women <laughs> at once, you know, and uh, I'll just go ahead and spoil my favorite line of the movie right here, it was, uh, I've always wanted to do it with high school girls, your school uniforms turn me on, sucking on your boobs underneath your uniform has been my dream! <laughs> that's, like, that's the, um... Uh, principle that gets uh, taken by the uh, four or five girls as a form of like blackmail. They sit there and they take him into that room and molest him, and then play it over the intercom at school and get him busted. But uh, is this sensational line, abnormal line, or shameless line? I know. See, uh, yeah, that's the thing. Wasn't it Toei that divided up these mm-hmm. movies, kind of? And I, I, I just look at that. Oh my God! It feels like. I gotta get this right. <laughs> no, that's the thing. I mean, the shameless line, all those things. I mean, I, I, that's the thing. I didn't even really go. I kind of glanced over it. Was like with uh, Toei's, you know, what they call the Pinky Violence genre or whatever. It's basically three different lines that they created, like the shameless line. What are they? Uh, sensational, abnormal, sensational, and the shameless abnormal. line. See, abnormal's probably gonna be like the uh, Teruo Ishii films. Or whatever, and uh, all the like Iruguru films with like all the blood and violence, or what have you. But uh, this, you know, I have really 
I'm not sure, you know, I mean, <laughs> like I said, you know, I mean, when you go that far into it, I'm, which I'm sure there are guys that can reel it off, you know, this was part of that line, it was released with this on A&B picture, you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, a lot more information. It's a, it's a great way to name uh, anything, you know, to right. uh, abnormal and shameless, you know, and I, I yeah. think all of those sens- sensational, abnormal, shameless, the you know, it should have been one, you know, because they, they, they are kind of, you know, they're all of that in my mind, you know, and uh, one thing that I wanted to ask, uh, there's, um, the, the movie goes off immediately, you know, with a scream over the Toei logo, and I was wondering, have you ever, like, experienced that with Japanese movies where they go, where they actually are allowed to fuck with lo- the opening logo, like what happens in the US where they change 20th Century Fox logo or the Warner logo to fit the theme yeah. of the movies, you know what I mean? I've never seen that with Japanese movies. I don't so. if I have either. Yeah. So it's like, uh, for normally the Toei logo is just, uh, you know, the breeze and the water coming in on the beach and then the triangle coming at you and what have you. But here there was a, literally a scream over the Toei logo, uh, which I've never heard before, which I'm thinking, I might be wrong, is kind of relevant to this movie. But then again, it might have been on 10 other movies too so, so maybe it's a variation of the toy logo yeah i'm not entirely sure but um yeah it's definitely a movie that uh, does try to you know go in different areas and what have you i, I do think that there's you know it, it's a little bit less um in your face than our second feature film that we'll be covering or what have you but um i do think that there's a certain amount of subtext you know within this film that uh, you know, it, it's kind of like it's nothing in particular. I think that the film's trying to say, like, oh, let's talk about this subject or what have you. I think it's generally just defiance and mm. you know, basically things like that. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. When I'm saying that, there, if there's anything here, I don't care and I don't know. I, I think <laughs> I'm saying that because I, I do, on a subconscious level, realize that. <laughs> Underneath it all, it is saying something about you know rebellion and defiance, but uh, thankfully, kind of, it's not in your face because it's right. it's this story I take in, and it's uh, and it's eye popping elements. And you know, talk about a movie that opens with a bang oh. aside from the logo. You know, <laughs> here's a scene where the discipline, what turns out to be the disciplinary committee, where they are you know cutting breasts they are injecting mm-hmm. drugs they are draining blood and uh, you know in a very technical manner they, they the disciplinary committee have done this before yeah. you know, draining and it's horrifying it's absolutely yeah. horrifying and terrifying and uh, and you got dutch angles and trumpets going off and saxophones and there's groove and you know it's it's really the in very your face. the very first shot is like like a zoom in on this woman's uh, shirt or whatever, and then as it zooms out, her of course her chest is exposed because the disciplinary committee's ripping her shirt off or what yeah. have you, and uh, yeah, you're introduced right from the start. Like this is gonna be, this is gonna be interesting. Looks fantastic, though. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. speaking of, um, it's actually a very well costumed movie uh, in terms of. Uh, it, the eye-popping element again the disciplinary committee have red masks on surgical masks mm-hmm. but the red and uh, coupled with uh, their school uniforms and uh, being gorgeous women oh, obviously yeah. uh, uh, you know it's uh, it's very eye-popping i even had that as a background picture for a while on my facebook uh, you know a trio shot 
a trio <laughs> widescreen shot of the disciplinary committee with the red mask. So I mean, it's a very uh, a, a great technical achievement in that regard. Shot in beautiful widescreen, and uh, and uh, so they fill the widescreen frame with that. They even fill the widescreen frame with nipples only. <laughs> you know what I mean? A huge, huge, huge uh, zoom in and or or close up of uh, of uh, a nipple or two. You know, imagine seeing that in the theater. Whoa! Oh, <laughs> That's a big nipple. So uh, I actually do like that stylistic choice. Uh, you know, not an abnormal choice. It's a more a shameless choice, and I actually like that. That they. You know, the little I know Japanese censorship is um, is that they, that they can't shoot uh, never regions and can't shoot uh, pubic hair, otherwise it will be pixelated. So this is a good movie to look at for examples of how to be graphic. Uh, they can show nipples, but um, how, how they can be graphic without uh, showing that, you know, uh, showing it off screen, having hands inside skirts and uh, panties or whatever. And based on that, because it feels like a restriction, and it, obviously it is, but based on that, they, you you don't think about it. Right. You you don't. It's not like they put the vases or or candles uh, in the in the foreground whenever yeah. you know whenever there's a shot of um, of a pubic hair or what have you. It's not that. So I think the but by this time Japanese filmmakers must have been very used to the rules and uh, decided to be to be creative about it instead and not see it as a hindrance. Oh yeah, I mean Suzuki's you know normally very artistic about that sort of stuff and. You know, one thing you talked about is like the red uh, surgical mask and everything like that. You know, he always, you know, I mean, all these Japanese films make good use of like red and things like that, these vibrant colors. But like Suzuki's work in particular seems to just be all over the map with like blues and reds and stuff like that. And this film in particular really, you know, even that opening with like the blood being drained into a... uh, uh, vase or whatever, and uh, they're in the chemical lab essentially, so they have one yeah. of those uh, big, uh, big containers. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it looks like paint, you know. Of course, but I mean, this is the '70s, but you know, it's just it's wonderful looking. It's like wow, you know. And then Max with the um, red uh, surgical mask and red gloves too, right? I think so. And, and yeah. on on that note, it doesn't really make. It's only done for. Um, because it looks cool. Because everybody mm-hmm. knows who the disciplinary committee right. are yeah. in the school. So it's not like, oh my god, it's you! It's, <laughs> you know, it's not he, like they take off their mask and, oh, what? It was so you it, all along. So that, that's, and I like that, that he, uh, you know, he doesn't need to make any excuses. For, I, I, I put that on them because it, uh, it looks uh, freaking cool. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and they look good. <laughs> and it looks, you know, they, it makes them look good as well. So it's uh, just a costume combo. That uh, works uh, very well for him. So, so, so I'm glad that, that uh, I'm not that kind of viewer. Like, it doesn't make sense. Everybody knows who they are, but uh, it's the school of hope, obviously. So it's uh, where you know they they want to preach high morals and deliver outstanding social specimens to the world, after and reform and reform delinquents and uh, uh, and and when you don't know who that this is a committee you know you think to yourself well they are not at a hundred percent success rate but the school is actually uh behind this they they know of this committee that's the point uh, I'm, I'm making that uh, the principles would have you and uh, there, there's obviously notions of corruption and uh covering up your tracks and uh, having a you know 
having your best uh, you know image and face in front of society and all of that so 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 that's going on without it being too deep or too uh, or getting in the way of um, of an exploitation movie a, a cool groove exploitation movie too you know it can it can sit beside that which i appreciate a whole lot right yeah i don't think you have to dig deep into the movie and, and i don't think the things that it's trying to say are necessarily all that deep um but like you know, like the introduction of like the school of hope or whatever. You have like that the vice principal's wife slash girlfriend or whatever giving you know her little lecture on like you know the proper ways that a woman should carry herself and mm. just kind of giving off all this stuff. And like I did a paper a while back and I, I basically wrote about like uh, Japanese film, Japanese women in film, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I believe the word is like onorashi. It's basically like the you know way of the feminine form of conduct or whatever mm-hmm. you know Japanese women are supposed to be demure, quiet, you know, even subservient in some ways, and just you know basically standoffish or what have you, you know, and that that's kind of what this woman's you know espousing or whatever, and then the and then all of a sudden you have these three other women who come in who act you know completely the opposite of that. And throughout the film, it's just, you know, it's a fun back and forth, you know, almost like a Roger Corman, you know, movie, like one of these nurses movies I recently watched. It's, it's you know, fun, rebellious stuff. And it, the movie culminates in, like, a giant clash, you know, similar to what was going on with Japan during the 70s of, like, student protests and whatever. You've got this massive you know, almost riot situation, which I'm not trying to give away too much, but within this, you've also got the Japanese flag being burned and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. I imagine it's, that being a controversial thing to do in I would Japan imagine. as well. Yeah. It, you know, you have to think, you know, that shot right there, you know, you watch it and you almost kind of, ooh, cringe, because, you know, you know somebody out there feels something for that. And it's... uh. Yeah, it's a button pusher and, and on a minuscule scale. scale. It's mm. not like, you know, I don't think it's a movie that, you know, man, you got to go, you know, in Japan in the 1970s, go see this movie. It tells our story, man. Mm. You know, I don't think anybody's feeling that. But, uh, you know, it does kind of have a little bit of that just like youthful rebellion going on in the background of it. And you can kind of like mixed in with all the fun and everything. You can kind of get behind that and you can kind of understand that and you just ties you a little bit closer to the film i think mm. i assume the subtitles are very very correct and well translated i wonder if uh, there's um in japanese cinema in original japanese language if you can't be very graphic with um with your dialogue because in, on numerous occasions in the movie i think they refer to the vagina as a box or box <laughs> you know that they, they, there's they check the box and, yeah. and and I'm thinking this is obviously a professional translation job. So I'm thinking that maybe they had to, you know, find they couldn't be that open and frank about just about everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if you actually thought of that or seen I it did. on any other occasion. I didn't, but uh, yeah, I'm really not sure as far as like Japanese language, what they you know allow and what you know isn't allowed within the films. Mm. But, Never uh, heard anything, but it's 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 a it's a wonderful word in a way, you know, box. Box. 
but, but again, I, I love that it's uh, it's entertaining. It's so pronounced, also. Uh, d- despite that, it's so open. It's so frank, and it, it know it knows it should play up the sex and violence, and mm-hmm. and and uh, as a skill in making all of that comes off as uh, fun and and uh, groovy and well crafted. I mean, okay, not the most expensive movie in the world, but. You know, they, the widescreen frame is very beautiful and uh, it's uh, lit well and uh, and uh, shot well. You know, Dutch angles isn't necessarily original, but there's no one th- there's no one who's going to think like this is shoddy looking when uh, watching right. this it's movie. stylish as hell. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, one other thing I like that, that, that the char- s- s- characters are very um, named, very... Um, not graphic, yeah, but uh, very um, upfront, you know, because you got you got the razor blade, and you got the jacker, you got the pipe breaker, you know, they're called something the jacker, something the pipe breaker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which adds to like th- th- this is a kind of pronounced over the top universe too. Exploitation stuff, you know, it's it's great, it's in your face. Absolutely, I'm just willing to let you know. And uh, on that uh, on that notion of red, to uh, well, the best usages of red, and uh, let's talk where the movie really fucking goes for it. <laughs> uh, red hot light bulb into a woman's vagina. Talk, talk about that, Joshua. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> and that light bulb was large. So try and set up the context here. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the disciplinary committee, they are, um, very creative when it comes to finding different ways to torture the other students and try to keep them in line. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, someone devises a plan to put a light bulb inside of a woman's box and then uh, have her do push-ups, correct? That I don't remember. I was just too shocked. But it's it's a red light bulb, and it's going in. It is going in there, isn't it? Oh boy! If it breaks, if it breaks. So that's. I mean, is it nastier than most movies occasionally? This, do you think? Um, it can be. You know, as far as like the pinky violence genre, I, I never really recommend it for like violence or you know even sex really. I mean, there's you know several movies that are you know really over the top and everything like that but you know generally I, I recommend it for style and like you know just fun you know a- atmosphere but yeah this one this one definitely um I would say it's gets it's one of the sleazier <laughs> type of entries which is why I chose it for this show mm. of course yeah I, I, good, good man I did find it <laughs> enjoyable uh, even though it is rather disgusting you know and even painful to watch especially in aforementioned uh, P- PC, you know, where oh, yeah. one of the girls is forced to hold it in, hold it in, hold it in. And then when it finally breaks, you know, it's uh, obviously a water, you know, it's water, obviously. Uh, yeah. the, the effect is simple. But what killed me is that, you know, the principal of a uh, teacher in the class uh, oh, who sees this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and he, he, goes, he goes to it, checks it out and smells the pee. You know, he yeah. has to smell the pee just to see that it actually is... Oh, come on, man. I, I liked it, but, but whoa, now now it's kind of disgusting. But, you, okay, I, I get you moving on. And, and you know what? It actually it plays with different emotions despite being overall fun. Uh, there, there, there is an aura of tragedy here. There, there is a felt death uh, later in the film. That, that isn't fun. Uh, and, uh, the, um, there's a... Um, I think uh, there's a girl that's been raped essentially. So, um, uh, and she calls um, 
you know, she calls for her mother in that scene while she's being raped. And that, that, is, that just, just hits you. That's yeah. not fun anymore. And, uh, but, but it somehow finds its place in the overall sense of, uh, of things here. You know, uh, because uh, in, in between the light bulb and the pee and several <laughs> hand jobs and, uh, you know. Some lesbian stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've cr- created camera placement and uh, groovy atmosphere, you know, tilting camera, uh, camera placed underneath, uh, underneath uh, tables or what have you. So, you know, and, and, uh, what, what, what was it? Uh, gov- <laughs> government men that like the prospect of, uh, you know, getting invited to an orgy. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's. I recognize this portrayal of men from Hong Kong movies where they will snap yeah. into sexual, uh, not monsters, but just be weak need. <sighs> you know, weak need immediately. And obviously, that's a minor poke on. Uh, on at the government or government officials or what have you, you know, that things go on behind the curtain. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it is a sleazy society. Uh, and uh, and uh, as you said, it ends on a big, uh, big collision between society and the, and the uprising, if you will. Is that at all a common thread in this uh, unconnected series or are they all different, uh, different in their own way? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I've seen like the first movie, but it's been a while. I, I can't mm. remember. <laughs> a lot of them will mm. blend together too. Like if you mm. sit there and allow them. But you know, as far as like uh, pinky violence, you know, generally, most of them aren't this direct. I don't think. You know, I wouldn't say that most of these films sit there and you know, intentionally put themselves you know us against them. But you know, by and large, they're they're all very much about like youthful rebellion and like you know following the youth around or what have you hmm. and the, the only criticism but i don't i'm not sure it is a criticism it's just me not being used to um to to the style and the actors possibly i found it a little hard to differentiate uh, the girls to be honest <laughs> um, uh, you know even uh, miki sugimoto at times you know but after a while okay that's that that's all right i know i i know uh Rick Wiki, obviously but uh, I, I kind of um I had little trouble doing that, but uh, it was not like it was unappealing to 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 watch because of that. But it, it was the group of girls that I watched, uh, so I couldn't. Absolutely, I, you know for sure. And, and they're know, all, yeah. all wearing; they're all beautiful, and they're all wearing the same costumes. School, <laughs> so yeah, schoolgirl uniforms. Yeah, so but but that that's probably just my problem. It's not a real criticism. I just found it a little bit hard. But I got all the plot beats, so it's not yeah. like uh, what's going on. <laughs> No, I've had the same issue before, you know, it's different, uh, especially like when you first see the characters or whatever, and, you know, especially when you have a film that, you know, everybody's dressed the same, and, you know, you have to just kind of rely on, you know, their characters and motivation to kind of remember, oh yeah, that's her. Especially with women, I have trouble with that. It happens, uh, you know, I'm not saying that to be funny, it happens in (laughs) Hong Kong cinema as well, with with all the costume epics and what have you, Shaw Brothers. I'm not yet familiarized myself with... uh, the actors exactly it, it has to take uh it has to be one iconic performance for me to really like s- s- always recognize them but even that is hard sometimes you know the lead actresses from intimate confessions of a chinese courtesan other movies i've not recognized them where when they've appeared yeah i think I, <laughs> I think the movie that put me on the map with like miki sugimoto was a uh, girl boss gorilla because like the outfit she wears in that movie are, to be, you know, a male chauvinist, she's so sexy in that movie mm-hmm. that, you know, from then on out, you know, she's just kind of like, oh, I can remember her, you know, her little 
midriff showing costume in that film. So every time I see her, I'm just like, damn, she was hot in that. Mm. <laughs> so. you, have, you have that reference in your head that you can go mm-hmm. back to that song. So there, there you go. Um, whoever the... Uh, we talked about the girls, obviously, but uh, wonder only... Uh, prominent male cast, I don't know his name, but uh, the journalist uh, in the movie who wants to bring down the school as well. You know, they, they design him with an aura of cool, and therefore he never changes his outfit. You know, he's <laughs> that he's that uh, he's got that uh, coat on and uh, and always smokes and sunglasses. You know, uh, and suitably it's him that uh, actually slips at the end of the movie and then freeze frame essentially. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so I, I, I would like to think, like wishful thinking, that we're kind of having fun with that. You know, we, we've made you super cool throughout the movie. Let's just have some fun at the end of it. Then. That's probably, you know, that's probably what it was more than likely. Because, yeah, his character, his character dresses like a yakuza or something like that. Even mm-hmm. though he's just like this, uh, not even a detective or anything like that. He's just a, a reporter, and uh, I guess you know he thinks he's cooler than he really is, and. Yeah final scene yeah i mean after all he is having high school girls go out and do all the tough work or whatever and do his job yeah so it's all good fun i uh i liked it very very much and uh short uh, short and sweet and uh, easy to get through and uh has some stuff that i really like you know really like to see in movies and i uh, like and 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 of what i'd seen it all i guess uh, but 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 japanese cinema has proven to to, to contain some, you know, different vibe that I should uh, approach a lot more often than I've had, uh, than I've done in the past. So, uh, so I, I wholeheartedly recommend it. Unless you have any notes, we want to talk about uh, more notes. We want to talk about the availability on home video. Yeah, uh, it was released in, as part of like the Pinky Violence collection from Panic House, which was like a four DVD box set that they had uh, a few years ago. Pretty popular, and. Um, it was given its own separate release, I believe, in like '06 or so, and that that disc actually has like a, you know, that, I think I mentioned it before, the commentary track by Chris D, who wrote uh, Outlaw Masters of Japanese Film, and uh, really good book, uh, really smart guy, really good commentary. Right on. Uh, is this in print, as far as you know? Is it harder to find these releases? I believe it's still in print. I mean, it shouldn't be hard to track down, you know, if not. You know, I believe it's still Netflix if you still have the disc service, which I'm one of the few people that I guess does. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you might be able to still find it on there. Right on. And uh, e- eBay, otherwise, I mean, they, they are popular titles. Mm-hmm. Obscure Hong Kong cinema is harder to find because it, it, it did, certainly did not get any cool box set release like this. So, right. so, so I imagine because it did get this and the separate release that there's always copies floating around fairly, uh, and you can get it fairly easily, used or not. Yeah, and the studio system in Japan, I mean, they, they've kept all their movies in pretty good condition, you know, and uh, a lot of, uh, there's a big audience out there for these movies. Well, I say big, but like, a big out of the small, you know, big fish, small pond, whatever, but... Uh, Enough to warrant a release that yeah. obviously costs money to put out. Yeah, so. somebody can make a little bit of money off of it. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, alrighty, we are taking a break and then uh, then we are moving into um, shaky territory, I guess. Rapey territory. Rapey territory with the review of Rape 13th Hour from 1977. So sit tight and grab a hold of something and hold tight and uh, let's see if we, we can get through this without sounding, hor- sounding horrible. <laughs> awesome movie, Rock! <laughs> Loved it! <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, see you after the break, guys. Welcome back, and this is the shaky part of this show. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but I'm glad I've got to take on this movie. It's called Rape, Thirteenth Hour, and I'm, I'm kind of saying it as it's supposed to be said, I guess. Rape yeah. exclamation mark Thirteenth Hour from 1977. Rape. rape. Uh, okay, Rape Thirteenth Hour tells the story of one man and his quest for eternal raping. Jesus Christ! <laughs> is this something you wrote? Is this from yes. the back of a DVD? Okay, you wrote. Okay. Uh, okay, uh, the lead protagonist of the film is in fact a serial rapist, and as our movie begins, he teams up with a gas attendant who is quickly who he quickly takes under his wing. Although the attendant is hardly the evil bastard that our serial rapist is, he finds himself green with envy over how the rapist is able to take everything that he wants in life. As the rapist tries to instill his own manners in this young man, the duo find themselves. Uh, being chased by a group of leather-clad men who apparently want their own shot at our serial raping protagonist. Uh, what's wrong with you, Joshua? <laughs> <laughs> wow! You know that, what? I, you, know, you know what? I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna judge you. I'm not, I'm not gonna like um, disown you or anything. But uh, this was. Uh, I was not prepared. F- yeah. For this, I, I was about to say I was prepared for rape, but I was not prepared for this movie really. Uh, but um, that doesn't mean I dislike it. No. So uh, okay, go into some background. You know, who are the people responsible for rape the thirteenth rape thirteenth hour? And is it you know first of all, is it at all uh, like even mildly talked of movie in fan circles of Japanese exploitation, or is this super obscure? Uh, I mean, I mean, you know of it, so obviously it's yeah, uh, it's famous it, some, yeah, somehow. It, it's famous, you know. It, it's it's famous in the fact that it's like famous for being so over the top. I guess is what it would be like. Um, you know, just to like go at it. I think I saw it. I saw an interview with Jasper Sharp, who is like the god of you know writing about pink film and stuff like that he wrote a book he's also from midnighteye.com which we all know but uh he also wrote the book uh behind the pink curtain mm-hmm. and uh yeah he's just brilliant with this stuff but i think it was uh maybe on the assault jack the ripper dvd or something like that where uh he basically said that raid the 13th hour was like indefensible (laughs) complete like misogyny on screen or what have you i forget his exact words but yeah he that was i think maybe not the first time i'd heard about it but that was the first time i'd heard it put that way and i was like Mm -hmm. oh my god i have to see this sold (laughs) sold my ticket but in all but in all seriousness uh that kind of is uh you know as a fan of these movies you you, uh exploitation in general you're kind of all curious when someone Call something indefensible if it's not, you know, illegal or snuff film or what have you. You know, uh, that would spark my interest if I if I was, you know, in in into more into Japanese movies more than I am right now. Mm-hmm. Like 
you know, sometimes you just hear about these really messed up movies or whatever, and just, you know, curiosity gets the better of you. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm not, uh, this is a tangent, but uh, usually I always go off on these tangents and reference these really weird movies. But, uh, yeah, like this movie I've been researching here lately, like, I don't plan on seeing it because I think it's a bit too much for me, but uh, it's called, it's not really a movie so much as it's part of, like, this offshoot of, um, I forget the group, like, uh, I forget even what kind of music they were, some, some kind of synth group or whatever in the 80s. I'm probably going to get killed for that, not knowing it. But uh, the movie that they made was uh, First Transmission, which was uh, basically some kind of cult thing. Uh, it was part of, honestly, just since I'm bringing it up, I might as well look it up. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Temple of Psychic Youth. Uh, so Psychic Youth, I think, was the group, mm-hmm. and uh, was his name G Porridge or whatever, or something like that. Yeah, I'm really not a music guy. So anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, they made this uh, little tape or whatever. It's like three hours long or something like that. It's like supposedly the Temple of Psychic Youth. It's like supposedly a legit cult type of entity, you know, mixing probably, like, magic, you know, real, quote-unquote, real magic and whatever, but in their video, there's, like, this sequence where they have, like, homemade surgeries that they're doing and stuff like that. What? On, yeah, like, on people... Staged that, like, or... No, like, legit. Ah, oh, like, fuck that. <laughs> right, like, well, but, you know, just hearing this, like, supposedly in the video, they have... Like it was under it's underground, of course. You yeah, know, yeah. But you can find it at relative ease now that the yeah, internet. But of course. in the video, like God, why am I bringing this up? But in the video, they have like uh, some guy being like, um, you can't really call it just de-penised, cutting off his penis. Hmm. And like I think they even show him pee into a tube. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you're researching. Uh, why am I researching it? But because somebody said this, like somebody tells me about this, so I'm like, what? I want to, you know, read about. It. Is this legit? Is this real? Mm. And there's supposedly another section where these people are getting like, you know, their arms cut open, their back by their spine cut open, and to get like supposed like orgasmatron uh, electrical devices. They're supposed to give them orgasms when they press. I mean, the if you're doing it for kicks and doing it to yourself and in uh, like in agreement with others, then mm-hmm. fine. I mean, I have no problem with performance art in that regard. I, I mean, I don't need to watch it, but I have no problem with it. But uh, okay, uh, but, but, I do, a... but I do agree. It's interesting. I would not dare to even look up a so, frame um, yeah, of that. Yeah, I, can, you know, I don't think never. I can watch it. But at the same time, it's like completely, it blows my mind that somebody would do these permanent things to their body and what have you. Mm. But continuing on, rape the 13th hour. Um, Which is so, a mild, mild exercise compared to that, I guess. Exactly, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so rape 13th hour, I'd heard about it through that, and, uh, yeah, when I went into it, uh, I believe, you know, I don't it helps... You know, even though this, like, when you watch this film by itself, it's, like, a complete, like, a stunner. Like, what the, f- you know, like, whoa, what just happened? Mm. <laughs> Why are we watching this? But, like, when you watch it with, I think, the rest of, like, the director, Yasuhara Hasabe, he made, um, in the late 70s, he made, like, f- five other films that basically kind of have similar content. Not quite this extreme, mm-hmm. but similar and they're all from different perspectives of, like, this 
rape type scenario. And when you watch them all together, this movie kind of, I think, makes a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. But, you know... Is it like a... Jackson... We're talking about like a thematic through line if you watch all right. the movies? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, it kind of makes... No, yeah, I mean, like, the narrative of this film's pretty, you know, cut and dry. You know, you know, you know, the, there's no, like, surreal... There's a little bit of surreal nature of the movie, but it, it's not, like, completely surreal. Like, oh, what the hell just happened? Hmm. But I think when you do watch it in the context of having seen these other films, that it does kind of seem to... Uh, it's not complete and utter chaos, extreme, you know, misogyny. Or, you know, just rape for the sake of rape, you know? So, I'll go into that in a little bit. Hmm. But uh, go into the background of the film. I'm What's wrong with your Joshua, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what this episode should be. Just me, like, for 45 minutes, like, <laughs> trying to sit there and... No, it's, I'm telling you, man, it's not just all rape. It's really good. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, then, at the end of it... If, if this was a video podcast, it's just me shaking my head, shaking my head. Then remembering I enjoy movies like Red Kill and shouldn't be judgmental, so... <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, the director, Yasahara Hasabe, he's a filmmaker uh, that I have a great affection for. I really love his work. Um, but he, he wasn't always, you know, rape and nastiness or anything like that. And truthfully, he's not even a director that should be remembered, you know, as a rape and nasty director because he's really not. But, you know, at the start of his film, uh, his career, you know, he graduated from, I think, Wasada University. I know these things because I recently wrote, like, a 3,000-word essay on him that hopefully will get published like next year but uh yeah hopefully but uh yeah so he graduated and worked as an ad on like you know i don't know the exact number but i want to say up to about 60 films so you know he he worked with like uh, seijin suzuki who made uh branded to kill and tokyo drifter and yeah seijin suzuki who's really like a um rebellious director himself and uh so he he worked on a lot of films with him, with a lot of films with a lot of different other people and everything like that. So when he eventually graduated to making his own film, which was like uh, his first movie was Black Tight Killers, he kind of took a little bit. You, I mean, you watch Black Tight Killers, which is his first movie, and you can see a lot of like Suzuki, Seijin Suzuki's work in there. It's like really ultra colorful. It's a little bit surreal, even though it's like a spy movie and it's supposed to be like a James Bond type thing, but in Japan. But like, there's all these, you know, amazingly colorful, beautiful shots of like people walking around these amazing corridors. And, you know, there's a great sequence with like a um, statue that's like, I don't know, I I can't draw you a visual picture with it, but it's just amazing stuff. Mm. And, um, his career kind of went up from there, and um, he was part of the, you know, a little bit, it was right before, I think, maybe 1970, they did uh, the Stray Cat Rock series, which is a Nikatsu production, which if you remember I mentioned earlier, was like, the, they're the Roman porno um, production. Sword and Sandal, guys? <laughs> the Sword and Sandal, guys. <laughs> but this was pre, like, uh, pinky violence, but it, it has like everything that I kind of expect from the pinky violence genre. So even though it's made at a different studio, I think that it captures the themes and the elements that make that genre special. So I, I kind of consider it a part of the pinky violence genre, mm. you know, which, you know, this goes back to my thing at the beginning of the episode where I talked about how, you know, convoluted it can become and how confusing it can be. And, uh, 
yeah, so the Stray Cat Rock series was like this um, all-girl gang type thing and uh, basically had a lot of heart to it, a lot of drama in there as well. And uh, it starred Meiko Kashi and uh, was directed by, for the most part, up till I think there's like four, maybe five of them. And I think only one of them was directed by another filmmaker. But for the most part, it was a Hasabe, uh, you know, series. Mm. And uh, I've, I've only seen about uh, three of them, I think, so far. But, uh, yeah, the Hasabe films are much better than, well, actually, f- three or four. But uh, the Hasabe films much better than the one directed by that that other guy. <laughs> that we don't talk about. At <laughs> <laughs> sushi something. Um, yeah, so he, he kind of went... When, Nikatsu went into Roman porno. He said that he kind of a little bit lost interest, you know. I I think he was really wanting to do more action-oriented films, and he did work in television. And he even went, he jumped to Toei for one film. He he directed uh, the last uh, Female Convict Scorpion film, Um, Grudge Song, I believe it is. He directed that, and uh, eventually in like the late 70s, 76, or I guess 75, 76, uh, Nikatsu kind of brought him in to spice up their Roman porno line. They they wanted to do a basically a new line or what have you. Or I'm not sure if they wanted to do it or if it was just retitled that after his first film. It, it became the violent pink genre, which is Let's talk about starting to confuse people. You got pinky <laughs> violence and violent pink. Yeah, very different. Very different. Uh, violent pink might even just be a fan name. I'm, I'm not entirely sure mm. on that. I don't read Japanese, so it's hard to study the stuff. But, uh, yeah, the Violent Pink, as far as, like, what Hasabe does, is much more violent, much more uh, focused on darker territories than, like, uh, the Pinky Violence genre. It's just, like, action and fun and whatever. These movies are not. Mm-hmm. These movies are much more serious, and uh, they can have hints of, you know, humor in them, but, you know, he went on, he did... Rape in uh, 1976, and then so he literally did, just called that. Rape with an exclamation point. That's wow. it. <laughs> That's the name of the movie. Okasu in Japanese, but uh, not the rape. rape. <laughs> not rape. Uh, rape in 76, and he said did assault exclamation point Jack the Ripper, uh, then rape 13th hour. And, and then, you know what, I can stop you there. Uh, is it all uh, at all uh, a Jack the Ripper story, or is... no? <laughs> no, it's. No, not at all. I mean, there's there's a serial killer in it. Well, it's basically, I'll just give him a quick little synopsis too. Rape was basically kind of similar to what he would later do with this little series he did. But basically, one woman, she gets attacked over and over again being raped, and it's really somber and melancholy and kind of, you know, I guess you could say it examines women and uh, their place in society, et cetera, et cetera, male-dominated society. Then you got Assault, Jack the Ripper, which is uh, a tale of a pastry chef and a waitress at a restaurant. And these two don't really have an attraction for each other at first, but when the two of them get in the car together and go for a ride, they accidentally run somebody over. And then the two of them discover that they have a fondness for violence. And Yeah, the rest of the movie is kind of about them, their sexual gratification through killing 
<laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, I I, I was just like, well, it sounds good, like uh, set in uh, London or something, but <laughs> no, <laughs> nothing to do with Jack the Ripper. <laughs> of all these movies, it's probably, I would say maybe, I hate to use the word mainstream, but it, it's the most like linear and uh, closest to having fun, maybe? Like, because it's, I don't know, it's away from just all the heavy rape and seriousness, I don't know. Um, but then he did Rape 13th Hour, which we'll talk about, and then there was Attacked in 78, and uh, followed, Attacked is about a policewoman, and uh, basically the same thing as Rape, she is attacked over and over again, but there's a little bit of an element of mystery in that one about her trying to find the person responsible for for the you know all the rape <laughs> but uh it is kind of thrown away during the middle of the movie and uh it's becomes a little bit more about other things then there's the end, last one was uh raping which basically about a woman i'm kind of shaking Sorry. my head here <laughs> i'm a pattern here <laughs> yeah raping woman gets uh, I, I mean we, getting... we we did get raped by an angel you know one two three four five so i mean i'm, I'm not really surprised but it's very like a uh how do you say blunt? Like very, mm-hmm. like no, no no fancy title. Just like, uh, what's this called? Rape. <laughs> <laughs> what's this one? Raping. <laughs> and so ra- and 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 uh, the third movie in that trilogy, raped. <laughs> I guess <laughs> to be. <laughs> I don't know. Man, raped would have been great. Wait, what? Anyway, uh, raping woman gets stranded on the side of the road, raped repeatedly. <laughs> That's. That's kind of it, but you know, each one of these movies is, you know, when you read them out like that, yeah, it sounds pretty horrible, and to enough degree they probably are, but there is kind of a, a subtext to each individual film, and it kind of does approach the situation in a different way, and you know, Yasuhara Aspe, when you ask him about his films, he's just like, oh, I just directed movies, man, I, I, don't, I don't know anything about anything, you know, or like whatever, rape. but <laughs> <laughs> he's the but when you actually look at his movies, because like his entire career has kind of almost been like female oriented, like there's been large prominent female roles in a lot of his movies, and when you get to you know Rape Thirteenth Hour, it's basically just about men and this system or whatever, and the only women in it are abused. Mm. You know, kind of. You know, it's different than all the others, and I think that that kind of is what makes this one kind of that's why I say when you watch the other movies and then you watch this there's something else different going on here mm. and it kind of helps you to understand all that but we'll get to that but what what were your thoughts on rape? you know what I'm going to say some brief things first and then within my review you'll understand that I, I you know with any movie you can it's not easy to say if you liked or disliked and it's mm-hmm. definitely not easy to say that I liked or that I liked the movie because then you feel horrible. But you know what? Uh, you really should step back a little bit as a viewer and think that th- th- there are genres, accepted uh, genres that have questionable content. Okay, and uh, and uh, this is this is obviously sensitive stuff. So you're not sure that you can can say out loud that you like this stuff. But you know what? You can and you should, and and I, I think it's a, it's a very interesting film. I'm not sure I got it fully because it's a, has an aura of mystery here. But the, the fact that I sat down with it and started in interpreting action, and uh, and what they, they meant for the character, you know, what all this senseless random raping actually meant for the character, meant 
that Hasebe got me thinking and is doing something here. And and I, I, that I was kind of not surprised by. I didn't have any any preconceived notions about this. Uh, that was interesting to kind of sit down and start, you know, looking at the very non-verbal that's going on here. Uh, because uh, I, I looked at the subtitles. They have like uh, because they were fan subtitles or or, or subtitles that I, subtitles that I could open in my browser and look at. There's only like 130 lines of subtitles, if you will, uh, you know. Wow. And for a normal movie, there's hundreds of this stuff. So it's a very sparse movie in that regard. But uh, uh, I, I think it's uh, I think it's interesting. I got something out of it. So I'll, I'll stop with my opinion uh, there. So, so is it easy for you to like sum up quickly, like, in a like or dislike, or is it difficult for you to kind of keep it short for this movie? Even though it's a you know, short movie, it is one of those movies that it, it's going to re- produce like many knee-jerk reactions. It's not a movie that's really easy. You know, that you, you sit there and say, even just saying that you like a movie named Rape Thirteenth Hour, it's going to be kind of you know people are going to kind of look at you funny. So, but being in the confines of this podcast and knowing that the audience that will probably listen to this, I, I don't have any problems saying that, you know, I do like it. And if you want to hear me ramble on about why I do, you know, feel free. But the other people who are at this point going, what? Click. You know, <laughs> they had probably already tuned out when we started talking about people trying to pee in their pants, you know, earlier. Mm. So, but yeah, I, I do like rape 13th hour and, uh, I, you know, as much, I don't really think that it's indefensible, but, you know, it is just a very, very heavy button pusher, oh, you yeah. know? It's, it's, it's it, really... it, well, for, because one thing it does, and we, we'll obviously get to this, is uh, push buttons uh, mm-hmm. where rape uh, it turns into pleasure. Right. And, uh, and where the victims actually do, uh, after a while, like what they're getting. <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, but you know what? That was in Stray Dogs. So, yeah, you know, it's right. not the first movie that did. It's a, you know, blame pecking part if you want to blame someone. I'm sure someone before him did it as well. So, uh, you know, any audience member will sit up immediately. By the way, this is a 72-minute movie. Splendid. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think he needed more to actually uh, say, what he, uh, say what he possibly said here. Uh, but any audience member will sit up at the first scene with uh, the leather-clad men in the car. Uh, where two of them start kissing while they're looking for the rapist. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying like, whoa, is this a gay movie? Oh my God. It's, I, you know, I, I have no problem with that, but clearly Hasebe is, uh, you know, is, is yeah. eliciting reactions. Uh, you, you don't know who these men are. They, they start kissing, not because they are on a date or anything. It's, uh, right. huh, they're, okay. Because it's a very, it's a very sparse and dark world and you don't know what's going on either. So it's very, uh, very confusing uh, to get a grip on the movie until you know it takes a little little while uh, to realize what the duo relationship is turning into between the right. rapist in red and uh, and the pudgy guy if you will <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, uh, I, I don't know I haven't looked into this I'm just gonna say something possibly very dumb but uh, I don't know if uh, homosexuality is uh, anything controversial in Japanese cinema if it's um, taboo or not but clearly it's here and, and intact and uh, there's even uh, a scene later uh, featuring this uh, to to a rather open and frank extent uh, i have no problem with it it's just like it's always bound to be controversial with some viewers uh, uh, i i do like any filmmaker that try to you know pull the rug out from underneath you and challenge you to like land 
hard, but appreciate the fact that you you know you you got your ass kicked a little bit uh, throughout the movie, and uh, and so, so I do appreciate the movie on, on that level that there, there is it is unconventional, or would you say what having watched a whole lot of movies that it's not that different feeling from a Japanese movie from a storytelling standpoint from it's, a narrative standpoint? I would say it's very different than it you is, know okay. a lot of yeah. I mean, a lot of these um especially like you know different movies like I mean. You could maybe compare it to maybe something like the Angel Guts series or something like that, which um, similar, you know, rape issues and stuff like that. But um, there's a whole bunch of series in Japanese cinema. Too. <laughs> no, we we, we <laughs> touched them on five or six series, you know, and uh, you know, unconnected or not, it's just like no, uh, totally. there, there's a lot to follow and uh, um, a lot that were made and could be made quickly. It seems. Yeah, but like. You look at it, and um, you know those movies. A lot of you know a lot of times this sort of stuff's usually tackled with like uh, a bluesy soundtrack, and you know even like rape when you you know the first movie in this quote unquote series. Um, in, you know that movie's like just it's a bluesy type thing, and like really uh, it progresses slowly, and uh, it deals with the female perspective almost you know almost exclusively these type of movies usually do. And then, uh, but this is the opposite side of the spectrum. This is about the selfish and evil bastards who basically, who fill up these, like, rape movies, you know. These are the guys that sit there and wander into some woman, like, uh, walking out of the bathroom or something. Oh, you went to the bathroom? You <laughs> use your pee-pee in there. Let me go look, you know. That sort of thing. These are those characters. And it opens, it opens, you know, suitably at night, and it's uh, it, it's not the uh, metropolis or anything. It's never really a metropolis. It seems like uh, much is set on the outskirts, whether it's in at day or night, uh, or, or some of the key scenes. Anyway, uh, definitely uh, more on the outskirts, which is how this, you know, rapist in red has to operate. Obviously, uh, you can't do it, uh, you know, in a doing, you know, lunch hour or rush hour, walk into, like, a Starbucks or have you and do his thing, you know. You know he, he has to catch his victims uh, uh, by surprise. Yeah. As far as, like, rape, thir- rape 13th Hour and, like, its differences and stuff like that, um, I do think, like, you know, Haspe always says, like, his movies have no point, or he did say, hey, his movies had no point or whatever, and they were just, you know, superficial and that's what they were or whatever, but I think that kind of was a way for him to escape any kind of questions and everything like that. Like, you know, the things like, I do believe that the, the characters in this movie are basically just symbols. They're part of, like, uh, basically it's all about a message and different things. Each person represents something else. And I think that's, you know, and that's my kind of, like, uh, you know, pretentious view of the film. I do believe, like looking at the other movies, which were about females trying to escape these men. These men would constantly do them over, like in rape, raping, attacked. Uh, all these different movies, they're sitting there. The women are trying to escape, and basically, like in attack, I believe it's attack or yeah, attack. The woman's taught to find her own like sexual sexual nature, and that's basically the way to counteract these oppressive males mm-hmm. and uh, throughout the movie it's kind of her discovering her own sexuality even having a scene where she stands over a mirror and looks at her own vagina and then and then you have like uh, 
raping, which is it's similar stuff. It's like find your own sexuality, but you can't go too far. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, you just become, you know, sex and your identity basically means nothing because they have a prostitute in the film who has, she discovered her sexual nature and she can sit there and use men and abuse them in reverse of what happens to the main character. Mm-hmm. But she's also lost basically her humanity in the, along the way because, you know, she no longer cares about helping her fellow female and she's just as selfish as the rapist of the mm. film. And I think that, like, selfishness and things like that kind of run rampant in these films. You know, even in... I'm, I'm really sounding like I'm preaching at this point, but, like, Assault Jack the Ripper, that movie's all about, like, selfish desires and, you know, these things that basically cause these people to become inhuman. You know, they're about killing. They, you know, it's all about, it's neither about love between the two of them. It's really all about, you know, okay, you know, when we're together, we can kill people and fulfill our selfish desires, our sexual mm. desires. And, you know, it's all about that. And in this film, Rape 13th Hour, we have, like, the ultimate selfish bastard we have the our rapist the guy in red he's called crimson in some credits but i don't remember ever yeah it, was, it seemed like a no a movie that operated on a no-name kind of basis that it's, yeah uh, and, and, it, and, it, and it would be better for it i mean crimson i have no idea if that even was mentioned uh, at all. yeah I, I don't remember crimson is anyone named i mean is the guy named the gas attendant no oh. not that i'm aware of gas yeah. attendants what i call him mm. <laughs> and uh yeah, so you've got him, you've got the guy in red who's just this, he's selfish. He he does everything, you know, he takes what he wants, including women, you know, steals from them, does whatever. Then you have, like, the gas attendant who kind of, like, throughout the movie, his character still hangs on to, you know, some level of, you know, his own... Uh, worth as a human being or whatever you know he he can just interject something here because uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it's interesting for listeners to know uh, we we don't spend a lot of time with uh, with this character before all of this is set into motion right. it's something that Hasabe is definitely conscious of to just start the movie immediately and set whoever these characters are on the path he's decided to you know he just mm-hmm. f- starts if my memory is correct yeah. just starts following yeah. this guy out of who knows and and i mean <laughs> that's the it, it's that challenge that he puts forth like okay we we're not going to set up anything we, we're going to set or uh, set, set you and these characters on some kind of journey and are you willing to take you know no background and just move mm-hmm. forward instead and i think that works uh, rather well actually yeah yeah, I mean the the story just it's it's go right from the start, you know. It starts off, you know, we're introduced to every main character in a matter of about three minutes. Yeah, you know, we meet the men, the homosexual men who are chasing uh, our villain slash hero. We meet the the guy in red, Mister Serial Rapist, and then we meet the gas attendant. That's mm-hmm. pretty much it as far as the cast goes. The rest of the women are all kind of interchangeable for the most part, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so, you know, continuing what I was saying, like, I believe that, like, the the man in red is basically, you know, man at his most selfish, and I believe that the uh, gas attendant is basically a man trying to hold on to, you know, his humanity, but is slowly becoming just as corrupt as the other gentleman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and basically the homosexual man or whatever, it's basically just the corrupt eating the corrupt, mm-hmm. you know? And that's ultimately what I see from these characters it's just like a cycle of violence a cycle of uh you know selfishness and all part of one system and 
just taking over and taking whatever they want. And... I, I, I might be wrong, but wasn't it suggested that uh, these the, the Leverman, if you will, uh, that uh, the, the young uh, the young man in the back seat uh, was potentially uh, you know a prior victim? Yeah, possibly. Uh, so I mean, I, I, I'm not too sure because this letter see where that, if he was a prior victim, is essentially asking you know the, the man in red to have sex with him or or, or even rape him again, you know, and uh, and, yeah. he sh- and he shoots that down, you know. So it's uh, it's mysterious in that regard, but it's not uh, uh, it's not annoyingly mysterious because right. I, I because I I started to make notes like uh, what is this is did this you know gas attendant you know is he is he willing is he Tra- is he trapped in a spiral? Is he, you know, is this a, a, a desire that was in him before? Has, it, has yeah. it sparked now, you know? And it, will we, you know, will this character, because he doesn't know exactly which camp he's in uh, at, at uh, the earlier part of the film, or he's the unable part. to have, you know, unable to like uh, have sex with a woman who, uh, at first, who he has no relationship with, or what have you, and. And there's a scene, I think, where, you know, it's basically the opposite when she's into it. Yeah, yeah he, he, sh- he wants emotions to be involved in, in this. Right. He, he literally says that, you know, I, I, I want to have feelings uh, and right. I want her to have feelings. You know, that, that, that's kind of woe material right there. But you know what? Yeah. It is something you can extract. You know, a character right. trait you can extract. That means that something is being done here, however, you know, vile. It is because it is vile. It's not something that is cool to say the way we just described it. You know, I, right. in, uh, one technical aspect I want to touch upon, which is, and I'm wondering if it's evident in any of his other movies, is uh, the uh, loud noises, and loud music, enhanced noises. You, you know, um, in particular, animal noises in this movie are just almost, you know, overpowering certain mm-hmm. scenes. You know what I mean? I actually very much like that. Uh, I'm a fan of. Uh, you know, if, if talking music, I'm a fan of really, uh, you know, shrill, yeah. kind of experimental synth music and techno music, and uh, and I, I don't mind that type of ambience that is in your face in that regard. And, and Rape 13th Hour definitely has that, uh, either with animal noises or like the uh, scratching noises that come from a vinyl record being played. You know, that being mm-hmm. elevated 10, 20 decibels or what have you. So, 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 what do you think of that? And is that evident in Hasbro's workout voice? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, this one, even like the classical music that kind of like defines this film, you know, this constant, you know, airing of classical music, it's uh, it's different than I think uh, pretty much anything else in his filmography. Like going back, it's it's a very different movie in like almost all regards. It fits snug in this little series of movies that he made, but it's yeah, very peculiar. Do you like the choice of having the loud noises, not not loud music absolutely. here, but the absolutely loud noises? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the soundscape that's painted in the movie is just fantastic. You know, I think it fits everything that needs to be. It's similar. You know, even going to the the classical music, just of course reminds me of like Cannibal Holocaust or something like that, where yeah. you know what's happening on screen does not at all fit with the music that's being played, but that's why it works. Mm. You know. I was thinking Clockwork Orange to an extent that also. Too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that tack of having those, uh, you know, contrasts uh, played against each other. Yeah. And uh, but but it is obviously a very bleak movie, and uh, and oh. w- one of his solo sequences, the gas attendant, is where he goes out into that little piece of wood uh, mm-hmm. and look for 
find people having sex out there and starts you know going at it but he's not himself you know he's uh, he even tries like to even scare away people and then he starts attacking randomly and it's that like indecisive nature that is i gotta say interesting to follow um because he is disturbed he's clearly disturbed but uh he uh, he and out of control and uh, and you know what the mind is not an easy thing to map out you know the disturbed right. mind is not an easy thing to map out it can be very random so this character is the only character with a true story arc within yeah. the film you know and, and and yet that story arc is very non-verbal too right yeah uh, it it relies heavily on the audience to kind of decipher what's going on with this character hmm. but uh, again I'm gonna touch upon it there I'm I'm it was made, I think, because this movie because it it exists an audience for it, mm-hmm. uh, exploitation. It's uh, it's been there for decades, uh, but but some I, I appreciate that kind of it can get people in to some extent yeah. and then starts playing his cards. You know, with uh, uh, the attempt at depth, whether he wants to admit it or not, is there. You know, the the, yeah. the mystery, the, the kind of reasoning behind the gas attendant character. We know the rapist in red is you know. He's uh, he, he he's defined in that regard, you know. He's uh, he's a devil. He, he's the devil essentially, yeah. you know. And he he can corrupt if we want to go really pretentious about it. He you know he easily can corrupt whoever um, you know the weak in this case yeah. because uh, the gas attendant is is clearly a weak character with mm-hmm. no decisive mind or anything, and uh, and, and and likes being uh, being uh, taken on this uh, journey. Eventually, you know, it's the, the doubt I s- described. Is slowly but surely erased, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and then you go into scenes where I, I wasn't really sure where if he was pushing those buttons of uh, are these women actually enjoying this? Because it, there, there's a, the very last rape scene, I think, is the one where you definitely see it. But there's uh, they raped these two women on uh, in, in a hotel room or room, what have you. And that, yeah. that was the scene where I was, it, are they really? Uh, it's. This one's not as like apparent. Like uh, I think, it, like there, there's some question, you know, to to several of like uh, a couple of the rapes where you know I'm just not sure if the women are just, eh, eh, you know, yeah. <laughs> if they're just. You, doing you remember that. the w- woman he was um, uh, he was looking at the, oh, the rapist the the red on the rape. bed and the, yeah, and the, the woman he held was... down on the floor. She was like mm-hmm. looking at that and seemingly like being was... into it. Yeah, but she I don't was know. definitely into it. Okay. Yeah, the, like the one being raped by Mr. Man in Red, uh, obviously she wasn't, whereas the other one was. And that uh, her being like uh, strong and, you know, wanting sex, you know, as opposed to the other women or whatever, that was what ended up turning the um, chubby gentleman, I think, off, right? Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Or did he finish? I can't remember. Yeah, he, he, you know, he's uh, he is indecisive. He, uh, if, if the only <laughs> thing he's decided on uh, is, and he tells that later on in the film, is that he wants to have feelings involved, and uh, it's not mm. really the teachings of his master, if you will. Uh, yeah. Feelings are definitely not part of it. You know, uh, rather extortion is. Mm. As it turns out, because he, he, I think he, that might have been the first woman that he actually did lay down with, because she did want it or what have you. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, that scene definitely another button pusher just there to kind of grind somebody's gears. And I'm sure it did. 
uh, and uh, on that note of extortion, I mean, it, it clearly has a grip on, and we don't know that either, a grip on uh, his victims that he makes them come back, you know, and uh, takes a shot at them multiple times despite them paying him off. And, and th- that, that's where the movie really starts. I think they are talking about them actually liking this, yeah. <laughs> like being in a grip. And what that means, I'm not sure. I mean, sometimes you have to just look at it for the story that it is and not think of mm-hmm. subtext or, you know, connected to whatever's happening in Japan, right, at that time or what have you. Uh, so it is... <laughs> Police doesn't seem to be an option in this movie either. Uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, uh, it's a common thing in our society that uh, this crime is committed, and uh, percentage-wise, uh, not a lot of rapes are are reported. solved or reported. So, um, so it's a th- that is certainly a real-life button that it pushes. Uh, and, and having said all all, all of these listeners, it's just no fun, <laughs> you know. It, it, it isn't fun. It may. It's it 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 shot, you know, quite well. Uh, it's a, it's a bit more gloomy and bleak, uh, not eye popping as such. Uh, but but there's no like groovy fun here or anything. No. Uh, uh, which uh, is the suitable choice, I suppose. Uh, you can't be all seventies uh, groovy and uh, and have have a lot of Lynch law classroom like reds uh, spread about the place, yeah. you know, or goofy lines. Which. Uh, which he could do that, you know. He definitely he was a very uh, colorful director in the, the early seventies. Haspe was, oh. so you know, it, it's it's just a very different style of film that he's going for here, and uh, had to sit there and make it in a way that would reflect the kind of grim nature of the story. Mm. And uh, the, the 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 thing. The most quotable things from the movie we won't actually spoil, but, but um, the, the very ta- tail end um, developments, if you will. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, the, we, we can say this much, you know, the, the fact that the leather clad men are following this uh, this uh, duo, uh, you know, that is paid off. Right. Uh, we can say that it's not something that, that just disappears from the movie. And uh, what what happened there was something I was not. Uh, at all prepared for. I I can take it. I can take a lot of graphic violence, but the, what happened was. Oh, they, oh, uh, whoa, um, um, oh, oh, my lord, what's wrong with Joshua? (laughs) I mean, it's a sort of a comeuppance, I suppose, um, Mm -hmm. that is a conventional, um, conventional kind of thing that he injects here. I don't know if he wrote this movie uh, himself, um, but, uh, Uh, but regardless, it's uh, it, it's a, a hell of a hell of an ending, even action, even action ending to to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but uh, without spoiling it, uh, I was I thought I'd seen a whole lot, and I thought I couldn't be shocked anymore. And uh, the the ending, uh, real, is quite something. Yeah. It's very uh, is... violent and uh, not graphic, but you know exactly what happened, and that's a graphic thought. Yeah, it's very very nasty. <laughs> Mm. And uh, yeah, I think I may even heard of heard of this ending before seeing the movie. So I think I might have already had a a vision of what was going to happen. But yeah, it still lives up to uh, lives up to what my expectations were. Mm. And uh, 
yeah, I, 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 I had some notes on what I thought the movie ultimately meant. I, I can't even understand my notes anymore because it, uh, it, it, it is kind of a criticism, I suppose, that the movie isn't very, isn't speaking super clearly to me. But I, I, I'm not sure it is a criticism either uh, that you should make that criticism. I think uh, it works on uh, a sort of vague level and has a base. <laughs> In my mind, anyway, not taking the easy route out. I think it uh, there's value in letting audience audience members deal with the story, and it seems like he's not very upfront, at least not in terms of this movie about talking about his work. And and certain directors, uh, um, I, I appreciate that that yeah. you, you don't need to have you know blabbermouths about t- talking about every nook and cranny about the movies and themes. Sometimes so sometimes it's cool to ha- just have the cinema. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Going going back to that final scene or whatever, just a random little note or whatever, like the uh, the gang of uh, homosexual men, I guess you call them or whatever, whatever they are, some kind of gang of men, whatever. I was going to say something about rape or whatever, but yeah, the gang <laughs> yeah. of men, <laughs> I believe they, uh, they, not them in particular, but very similar characters actually pop up like momentarily in uh, Hasabe's film Raping which uh, basically served the same purpose of... They don't go as far as they did in this movie, but mm. they serve the same purpose of, like, uh, finding a rapist and sh- showing them what for, you know, yeah. uh, in that movie. Just in, out of the blue with no kind of, like, uh, background story whatsoever. Just imagine a rape scene happening between a man and a woman and then a, a car full of real leather clad gentlemen pull up and they they grab the guy and uh go off and do whatever with him Hmm. just imagine that yeah and uh yeah i don't know i mean this is not the ending scene as such the ending scene is um uh we can say this much it's a roll in the hay with a lot of feathers in slow motion (laughs) and 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 my notes uh my note probably made during that very scene that um, the ending credits run um, run over it as well. It's, I don't know if somewhere in the movie it's about finding, you know, connections and emotions and closeness, but in extreme ways, which doesn't make it right, though. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a thread somewhere, but uh, cl- clearly for the gas attendant, uh, um, you know, he's not all lost, but we're very lost. Uh, very uh, lost, I think. Yeah. Because it's a very romantic image uh, that runs uh, under the end um, credits in a way. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the the uh, feathers and the slow motion and the sort of roll in the hay, I guess. Uh, but but it's also very vague, so it's uh, not easy to extract, you know, a firm uh, a firm interpretation of it. Uh, yeah. So, but 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 it's not either a uh, full on abstract art film or anything. It's uh, no. it's it's just not told very explicitly, but. It's uh, shown a lot of right. shown very explicitly. There's a very there's a linear story here, and you could break it down in about probably four or five sentences, yeah. you know. But yeah, there's more to it than that, I believe. But not for all audiences. I, I definitely wouldn't recommend this first. No. I, uh, or it's hard to recommend any movie focusing on rape. But I, I do I, I do like it. I mean, if I if no with a gun to my head and a grade. Uh, out of five, I mean, I would probably say a three and a half out of five. Is four, five is very generous, and I rarely do that. Four is very good, and this was interesting, but not. Uh, I couldn't get it all, and I, right. I would have liked to got some more. I think you know what I mean, just to get a bit more clarity for my own sake. But uh, that may just speak to my uh, 
my uh, my mind not being sharp uh, in terms of interpreting stuff. But uh, mm. but uh, I would, but I'm interested in him. Okay, yeah. yeah. I'm interested in his uh, run, though, that run of uh, movies. It seems like uh, it could be interesting. Are, are they all kind of sort of short movies, or do he, or, or, or does it go two hours on us sometimes? No, no, like uh, it's probably 70 minutes, <laughs> 70, 75, 80, yeah. Sweet could be uh, gone through <laughs> on a Sunday or something like that. I mean, you, know, you really uh, could. You can freeze right through. Just bite-sized, you, you know, mini, mini sandwiches, you know. <laughs> yeah. A whole lot of rape for one day, though. I guess so. <laughs> Can uh, there really be too much rape? The oh. great Lord Joshua Regal this week in sleeps. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, so, uh, so on the next uh, DVD release of uh, this, um, uh, let's make sure that quote is extracted from this show and put on the they should on the front. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, so on DVD availability, what's going on with Rape 13th Hour? Who put it out and uh, and uh, is it available? Uh, unfortunately, only in Japan, I think, right this second. Uh, at least uh, Jinion released it in 2007. Uh, it even took a long time for this one to hit VHS in Japan. Uh, probably like 99, 2000, I would guess it supposedly was released on VHS. But... Uh, yeah, no Western-friendly releases at this point, so bootlegs pretty much the only option as far as I know. Yeah, the subtitles are presumably fan subtitles, uh, therefore, uh, because the original Japanese release is not subtitled in English. Right. No. No subs. No, not that you necessarily need it, but, 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 but of course you do, obviously. Uh, this is, it's, a, it's a hard movie. I don't know. I mean, the movies that right now that uh, Synapse are releasing, you know, I would really like to see them maybe do something with it, because... You know the movies they're releasing right now are pretty, pretty tough as well. So, yeah, they they can obviously get through and whatever system they need to get through to be cleared for DVD release. <laughs> uh, and 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 uh, clearly the elements are there. And they've worked with uh, Nikatsu, so it's not like it's hard to negotiate to get um, elements right. for these kind of movies. So, <laughs> uh, so so who uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but uh, if you're that savvy, you can buy the original Japanese DVD and put uh, English subtitles on it. And um, and on the tourist forums, there might be an actual DVD, uh, re-offer DVD with uh, with uh, subtitles added on to it. If you uh, want to get it uh, done that way. So, but uh, support the original if you can and all of that. So, um, okay. <sighs> Feel dirty. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's 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 a very interesting. Even this. Uh, very interesting and different vibe that um, I, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to extract from because you, you're so into your movie fandom and you think you've seen it all and uh, and this proved that I, I have, there were still things that could kind of shock me uh, uh, but, but not turn off and be disgusted because I, I do watch I can endure most things uh, unless they're real life stuff yeah. uh, that's that video you were talking about uh, castration no, yes. no 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 fuck that <laughs> uh, so uh, okay this was interesting I, I'm up for doing it uh, more it's uh, it's an open uh, forum uh, the Tidal Wave Theatre so uh, let's um, let's think about uh, think about that for the future but uh, as for next this week in Sleeves we are finishing up the Rape by an Angel coverage, as we alluded to. So it's uh, Category 2B efforts still, uh, except for the Rape by an Angel 5 that we're doing for the bonus boner episode. Uh, 
the unsubbed one that is free but uh in the main episode it's rape by an angel for the rapists union directed by wong jing uh still category 2b and rape by an angel 5 the final judgment directed by billy tang also category 2b 1999 and 2000 movie i believe so it's finishing up that and the unsubbed rape by an angel 5 uh, the second one as i said that uh, appeared a few years later i believe so it was not like they made <laughs> you know they were competing productions or anything like that um, but uh, it's, it's very funny that because it is clear uh, the english title on the dvd that was released or the vcd that was released this rape by angel five it's it's no there's no doubt <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, so it's one of those like it's not a movie that you should like uh use uh to, to get traction for your movie because rape by angel five is not good i mean the, the, um, it's bearable and all of that i mean uh, it's it's not a turkey or anything but it's not like the movie of that year that everybody needed to imitate and uh, everybody did yeah. imitate him no it's not that and it was the final one uh, rape and angel has not turned up there's no rape by an angel 2012 from wong jing and there's likely not going to be either i mean uh, he did Naked Soldier recently, uh, but there's no naked in that, no nudity in that. So it's not on his agenda. It's not something he feels he can do, apparently. Uh, but we do have some classics in the 90s, including uh, some in that series and other category free movies of, of the 90s, uh, whether he directed them or not. So good on him. Uh, but uh, this has been our Tidewaity Theater Japanese fucking episode, I guess. <laughs> and uh, it was good. Uh, Thank you, Joshua, for... Uh, I wouldn't have gone after these movies otherwise. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm very grateful for ha- having the chance to uh, to see them, especially Lynch Law Classroom. I think that was uh, pretty awesome, actually. Yes, oh, thank you. I'm glad to have brought it to the table. And there's a few tables you can bring this, these kind of movies to. <laughs> no. <laughs> you can slide Rape 13th Hour in front of your girlfriend, and then yeah. you slide it promptly back again. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let her see the title. <laughs> Shake it in front of her. <laughs> uh, Alrighty, this has been this weekend slate on the podcast on fire network. And the quick contact information goes as follows: website for this and all the other shows, podcastonfire.com. Email for feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. The old forum with members only archive, podcastonfire.com forward slash forum. Prime members can still register if you want to be a new member. You can't, but I promise to do something with the old members only uh, material uh, soon enough. Yeah, check out the bonus episodes on the website uh, for whenever we post their new bonus uh, podcasts. And uh, I, I, it might be silly to mention it, but uh, we've um, for the Korean Kaiju Week that is coming up sometime in November. It will probably be this will appear a little bit after that, but uh, that has two bonus episodes attached to it. And 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 don't think we're not trying during those episodes. Uh, they, they are valuable in their own right. So. Uh, we are on Facebook as well. Facebook.com forward slash POF Network is our page. Click and like it. Leave us some feedback if you like. Uh, follow the link in on that page in the info box to the discussion group. Uh, or type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search box and you'll find that discussion group. Join the discussion and fun over there. And follow us on Twitter. Twitter.com forward slash Podcast on Fire. My writing, Taiwanese movies, Category 3 movies, Ninja Exploitation Galore, SoGoodReviews.com, SleazyKVideo.com is the, the site for the video reviews. And follow my my nonsense that might involve Japanese movies after this episode. <laughs> well, it will, obviously. If I'm going to plug this, i got to talk about this. Well, Twitter.com forward slash SoGoodReviews. Follow us on iTunes if you've, if you've subscribed 
to the prior stream that contained all of the shows. This Weekend's Least now has its own stream, so you can subscribe to that on iTunes if you like your podcasts delivered that way. And if you like the show, be so kind and leave a comment or a rating that would very much be appreciated and you can stream us on stitcher as well go to stitcher.com follow the link in the show post to our show page on stitcher.com or download the application for your ipad iphone or android and uh, that app is free and once you're in that app you can type in podcast of your network and add each show individually and we thank you for your support via that app and their support of us bullets over chinatown is King Who's blog in the mood for guilo.blogspot.com check out his uh, posters and uh, and uh, general Hong Kong movie junk as he like to call it uh, which is a good thing shelflifeclothing.com Brian Kirby's t-shirt line and he designed our intro and outro and uh, support him he's great designer cool t-shirts cool posters even skate decks and uh, some new t-shirts coming coming your way of little gung seas i believe so uh support him in any way can and your plugs joshua uh you can find me at the v cinema podcast at v com, or you can find me at buriedcelluloid.com that's my website i do a lot of writing on there and uh have you reviewed uh, both of these movies, by the way, on your site? I actually have a review for Rape the 13th. I already, I've already reviewed uh, Lynch Law Classroom, and you can find that on my website. And uh, I will be reviewing Rape the 13th Hour for uh, Halloween. So oh. <laughs> you, think, you think that fits? I mean, it's kind of like it's a horror. Man, I mean, if Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer can be a horror movie, why not Rape the 13th Hour? What's wrong with you, Joshua? <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, uh, follow me on Twitter. I just started using it again, at Varied Celluloid. Right on. All of that will be linked to in the show post. If you um, if you can't uh, look it up yourself, if you can't use Google or the, in- or the Internet Explorer thingy. <laughs> That's the technical term for it. Yes. Uh, so, check it out. This has been Sleazy K and the Great Lord Joshua Regal, and uh, our stock has probably been reduced with a whole lot of you, but uh, you know, we, we take this stuff seriously despite the rape count of this episode, <laughs> you know, fruit roof. <laughs> you know, should I start like a ding 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 ding? ding, ding. <laughs> 5,400. Oh my god, did we? Yes. <laughs> In the Hasabe bio alone. Oh, <laughs> There's 4,000 mentions of it. <laughs> that's how you get an essay done on this director. Rape, 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 uh-huh. rape, rape. That's all you gotta put in there. Alrighty, thank you for listening, everybody, and see you next time. For some dirty fun, I guess. So, let's stop the fucking! <laughs> <laughs> I like that sign, also. Screw you guys. It's good, huh?